This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Uh, tragic day again. Shooting in Florida. 17 killed. And how many times have we started the show this way? Ah, unbelievable. Way too many. And what do you say? Except tragedy. And, you know, back to Washington, D.C. I can't remember the Congress or the senator was going off like, this is our fault. This We caused this. If we couldn't come together on every other shooting, we're the cause of this problem. But uh, a lone gunman goes into a high school and shoots his... Well, his fellow students that he went to school with last year. Anyway, won't mention his name, but tragedy, tragedy. And boy, the video coming out of uh, out of out of the the parents that were waiting for their children to run out of the school. Unbelievable, just tension. Can you imagine waiting for your child to appear? And he didn't take his own life, or he wasn't taken out, right? So he yeah, he, he tried could to be sneak going out. away for a long time. Yeah, and it's just ah. Uh, but we can't – We for some reason we can't – as a government, as a country, we can't come together on certain laws. And will laws even stop this? What really is the key? The reports this morning he got the gun legally. He went through a background check. Yeah. All the things that would be put in place to stop someone from getting this that, that shouldn't have this type of weapon, he did all that and got the weapon. So mm. Unbelievable. Um, his Apparently his digital profile was very, very disturbing – so then, then you think mental health issues, you think other issues, but again, do we have anything in place after all of these other shootings that would stop that? No. This is, I guess, there is a point of life that you can't stop tragedy. Right. But you can prevent some things. <laughs> it's just, I, I think what frustrates people is nothing has been done. Nothing. You know, bus stocks go still from there. Sandy Hook, right? Yeah. Since then, nothing has been done. There's been arguments. There's been conflict. All you hear is it's not the time to talk about it. Yeah. 20, 20 children killed at Sandy Hook, right? Right. 17 in this shooting. And the, the congressman or senator was saying, man, if, if, you, if 20 kids doesn't move you, yeah. if the shootings in Vegas doesn't move you, you're unmovable. And everybody's in the pocket of the NRA. You see the Marco Rubio. Yesterday, you have several people tweeting out just the number 3.3 million. What was that? In response to Marco Rubio saying that this is a horrible day. A, you know, horrible yeah. nightmarish thing happened. So they tweet out in response 3.3 million, the amount of money he's gotten from the NRA. Oh. Mm. And it's just like, if it's a horrible day, yeah, do something. But instead, he's got his his uh, what approval rating of really high from the NRA and his money to thank him for his support, I guess, and yeah, off you go. Oh, well, it's uh, what do you do? And uh, but the the video, I think everybody needs to go watch the videos. Many aren't going to watch it because it's pretty traumatic. It is the the video from inside the school is just terrifying. But then watch one by one these kids tell the story of walking down the hall, seeing their dead friends and watch their parents and the terror and not knowing if their child's going to make it out. Okay, then call your congressman. 
Right. And hopefully something can happen. But again, we I mean we've said this I don't even know how many times on the show we've done this story. <laughs> this pretty much this very story. This is I think they're saying the one of the the um the most fatalities in a in a in, in a high school shooting? I don't remember. But anyway, tragedy. Seventeen seventeen dead um in Florida. So well I mean who else do you blame? Who else do you talk to? Who else do you Yeah. And you know, your your state could be next. Right? I mean Connecticut, they had theirs with Sandy Hook, Florida. Yeah. Well, the, think about it. I was in school. It was like earthquakes. We'd yeah. have earthquake drills. Yeah. Get it on your desk. It's an earthquake. Now they're doing active shooter drills. Yeah. And they had just had an active shooter drill at they had, the they school. Had a, they had a fire alarm, a fire drill earlier in the day. This guy walked in the door, pulled the fire alarm at the end of day. Mm. Which confused everyone because, like, wait, we just Didn't did this. We do this, yeah. And so that was mm. part of the problem getting getting everyone out of the building is people were confused as to what was happening. And I mean, you, you think that maybe having active shooting drills helps, except seventeen died. I mean, there the the fact that we're having active shooting drills is it's just absurd, but necessary now. Teachers are having to learn how to how to f- uh, facilitate crowd control. Man. And math for the day. You know, I mean, it's. Yeah, you got to know math. And then, <sighs> well, then this will eventually get into do teachers need to have guns in the school? Do do you have to have more armed people in schools? It'll get into all of that. Plus the hero stories that will start to come out. A football coach that was taking bullets to cover people or or an, uh, one of the coaches was doing that. Mm-hmm. Teachers that were have died. Names, I'm sure, will be released later today. And again, and once again, everyone's prayers are going out. So, I mean, good. They're great. They're great. Pray and call your Congress people. Do something. Let's let's get to the other headlines. I'm sure there's other <laughs> crazy news. Probably we'll never top this. But what else should we be paying attention to, Terry? Wednesday night, Senator Susan Collins of Maine uh, ha- announced a bipartisan com- – and they have- she's in has this bipartisan common sense caucus – Right, huh. they all went to her office one day. They're talking about immigration. They all sat around. They started passing like someone had a talking stick or something. Oh, yeah. You know, that kind great. of a concept. So, passing our show, they released its immigration proposal, which offered some of what President Trump has demanded, but not everything. Adding another option to a looming floor fight in the Senate on Thursday, the Immigration Security and Opportunity Act. Love the names of these. Yeah, <laughs> with lead sponsor Senator Mike Rounds and Senator or Angus King of Maine would offer a ten-year path to citizenship for Dreamers, young immigrants brought to the U.S. as children. Plus, I hate how I have to say that yeah. every time because you don't know if people right. know that. But you know, Dreamers <laughs> plus twenty-five billion over a decade for border security and and to curb family-based immigration. Hmm. Now they're calling it family-based. Trump calls it chain immigration. Right. Which way do you want to go with that? How are we going to address up this issue? Family or chain? Yeah. How do you want to bring this down or lift it up? Yeah. It does not end the visa lottery program as Trump wants or deliver the $25 billion immediately. It's over time. Trump favors a bill sponsored by Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa and has has informally threatened to veto a bipartisan bill that would just tackle border security and dreamers. He wants border security, dreamers, and to cut legal immigration down to historically low levels. Why does it all have to be in one He wants it all. I know, so great, one by one. Because it's a bill of love. Remember that? Yeah, he wants right. a bill of love. Okay. So we'll see. Whoever can produce the bill of love 
will win this. <laughs> I think if we could produce the Bill of Love, we would have done it by now. Yeah, probably. Who wrote the Bill of Love? <laughs> wow. I think that's a different song. Okay. The Food and Drug Administration Wednesday approved the uh, Ban- Banyan? Yeah, Banyan Brain Trauma Indicator, the first ever blood test to oh, detect yeah. signs of traumatic brain injury. The test identifies two proteins that appear in the blood within 12 hours of a serious brain injury, the LA Times reports. The levels of those proteins can then predict which uh, patients may have brain lesions that can be seen on a CT scan and which won't. Test results come back about four hours later, but the company who created the blood test uh, tell the LA Times that they are working on creating a test with a turnaround of less than an hour. Wow. The military wants to use the brain trauma indicator out in the battlefield, and the uh, the guy that runs the company says he's hoping that within two years there'll be a faster and smaller test that can be used in ambulances and athletic facilities. The, the, the key there is CT scans are very expensive. Yeah. So going in and you spend $1,500 or whatever and it's a, it's negative, Yeah. that's good, but you just spent all that money when maybe there's a blood test to tell us if we even need to do the scan. Interesting. Well, plus there's just the fact that the guy's eyes are crossed and he's well, walking into a wall. That too. You can see that. But. I mean, that seems... But, but, I mean, I wonder how sensitive it is. So if you... Huh had a little head concussion and they, even now they're saying you know football the problem with football isn't the big concussions it's just it's the little heads. the repetitive head hitting mm-hmm. you're not a ram for heaven's sakes you're not a woodpecker though i had coaches encourage me to do such things use your head use your head no they didn't Come on, they, ne- they never said use your <laughs> lead head. with your head they were very careful with Good. that police on wednesday were trying to piece together how a 49 year old skier who disappear whose disappearance sparked a massive search on a snowy New York mountainside, ended up six days later in California, confused and still in ski clothes. Oh, wow. Toronto firefighter Constantinos Danny Philippus, I guess, told investigators he doesn't know what happened after he was reported missing Wednesday, February 7th, from Whiteface Mountain during an annual ski trip with colleagues. The search ended Tuesday when the Toronto firefighter ended up in Sacramento, California, some 2,500 miles away from the Adirondacks where he was skiing. Wow, that was some run. He told deputies he remembered little, but he thought he suffered a head injury, rode in a big rig-style truck, and slept a lot. The police are investigating. <laughs> that is incredible. You're you're just skiing one day, and the next thing you know, you what? You wind you're, up on the beach. You're in Sacramento, which is oh, in the Sacramento. Beach. It's like four miles. Well, you said San Diego. You're in the beach in some swimsuit with a ski helmet on. <laughs> <laughs> he, they, he said the big rig dropped him off in downtown Sacramento, and he got a haircut. Holy so, <laughs> He doesn't know what's going That's on. That's why we need that test. That's right. we got to know but what But I think you could guy. probably say he probably needs a CT. Yeah, he needs something. Get in there and fix it. Sure. Uh, and finally, a groundbreaking new study by French scientists. Now, remember, French scientists. We? Oui. They're doing this to us. They have linked processed foods such as cereals, mass-produced bread, and bacon to increase chance of getting cancer. Is this... I, I thought... I didn't know this was new. <laughs> it's the French is what I'm telling you. French scientists. I know, but I thought They're we just already, catching up over did we there. Already, yeah, okay. The study published in the British Medical Journal suggests that the, that the more ultra-processed foods, one made in factories with lots of added preservatives and flavorings, that a person consumes a higher risk of them developing certain types of cancer. The risk foods also include... Chicken nuggets. What? Chocolate bars. And sodas. 
So as this article puts it, so basically all of the most delicious things in the uh, world. Basically yeah. my breakfast. <laughs> the, the team of scientists. You're not kidding. You're, you That's typically have a Diet Coke well, sitting right there. Well, and chocolate-covered nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> the team of scientists studied the medical records and eating habits of nearly 105,000 people for the project and said while further study is needed and they didn't want to be alarmists, they, uh, you know. They're being alarmists. They're finding the results consistent and quite compelling. And they wow. said that very alarmingly, yeah. Well, wouldn't that mean that places like we ought to eat more of a diet like the people of France? That's what they're trying to do. Trying French to... fries. Yeah. Well, yeah. no. Escargot. That's... French fries are more of a thing we do. I don't know if they do it. I thought they just eat a lot uh, of cheese and bread. And snails and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Maybe some duck. I bet they don't eat half as many snails as we think they do. You're right. I mean... Because you know. sometimes it's Escar gross. That's rude. See? Nothing. Okay. It was a delayed reaction. From that was the a delayed audience. courtesy reaction. Have you ever had Escar go? Yeah. yeah. What'd you think? Um, I thought, man, this tastes like snails. You was really it? have? Mm-hmm. It's like that snail oh. was salty. I had it in elementary school. Yeah, that's when I had it. Kid did a uh, what a report on France, and so he goes, "Hey, we have." Escargot. I had it in French class in oh. elementary school, and all I could say was, qu'est-ce que c'est? I get it. French class. What is this? Sorry. Isn't that one of those things that we can just be okay not experiencing in life? Like uh, skydiving, for instance. I just want to wait until I'm, I'm dead and I have the ability to fly. Can't we fly after this Why life? do you think you're going to fly? Why wouldn't I be able to fly? Don't you think you're going to be like you are now? All of a sudden, you're going to turn into some bird? Yeah, but maybe I can fly. Maybe that's why I keep having these dreams where I can somewhat kind of fly. I believe you can fly. Maybe it's a, a taste of things to come. Yeah. Wait a minute. Did you just reference R. Kelly? No. Wow. Never met your Kelly. I believe I can fly. Um, <clears throat> so what do you think, Matt? I, Chocolate, chicken nuggets, and soda. I totally think it does. But I don't like the French telling me that. So, <laughs> what are the French? What rights do they have to tell me that I could die because of my diet? See, now it's a conspiracy because it's French scientists in the British Medical Journal trying to attack American food. Why? What is up with that? Mm. They're so like I don't know, cocky. <laughs> I mean, come on. Are you, are you taking on the French now? I'm taking on the French. Wow. I'm kind of mad. It's That's, basically oof. the majority of what's left of the EU. Because, I mean, the British, they're sort of in still. Brexit hasn't been completed yet. Right, right. So it's more of the European Union you're going after here. Yeah. No, you don't hear the Germans saying these things. No, they have other problems. They're trying to be as polite as possible. Yeah. Uh, by the way, speaking of... Um, Not to disparage any nations on the globe that may be listening. Sorry. Speaking of other nations on the globe. Oh, go ahead. Um, Michaela Schifrin takes the gold in the giant slalom for the hey, United States. Hey. She's young. I think she's like 22 years old. Slalom. Is that the one with all the bumps? No, that's the giant slalom. The one with all the gates where you're going like 500 miles an hour. The moguls is the and one the that flags? destroys your hips. Yeah, you these. have to go through those gates mm. and you hit them and it looks like, hey, you ought to just go around them, but these people kind of pound through them. Right. 
And then, so, and then eventually the announcer's like, oh, devastating. They missed a gate. They oh. missed a gate. You can't really go back. But so. she's young <laughs> and she apparently has got – uh, for the rest of the Olympics, she will be racing in contests the entire time. She's, so she's got a lot to do. Do you think that adds pressure or do you think that takes the pressure off to get the gold right at the beginning? Mm. If you're still competing in all these other games. Well, I think it's good. It takes pressure off. You've got Really? One. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, you know you you know you know two more and you're on a Wheaties box. But is that how it works? Yeah. Well, wouldn't you feel like, well, I've got one so maybe people now are expecting – since I was the best in that event, maybe people are expecting me to be the best in these other events. Well, but I think, I think by the time you get to the Olympics, you already know you're the best, right? Because you've already won all of the other tournaments. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of like you know you're the best board operator in, in this, this room. room. Yeah, absolutely. Like mm. it's not in dispute. I mean, sure, other people outside of this room question it, but we think you're the best. And that's mainly because we don't want to do it. Absolutely. I'm trying to pump you up with and some confidence there. others wonder, how could he be the best if his laughter always comes like five seconds after the joke? Some would say possibly artistic license. Or some would just say really slow reactivity. Wrong. Okay. Now he's on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's supporting him. He's right there. He's doing fine now. So um, apparently, so last night, thank, or Valentine, why do I always mix up Valentine's and Thanksgiving? Because I like to give thanks to my Valentine's. Both are big eating holidays yeah. for you. So I went to out to a really expensive dinner. Oh, wow. Really? A really expensive dinner. Was it a buffet? Yes. Did the, I don't know, the noodle salad <laughs> taste like the broccoli? Because sometimes that lobster, happens at buffets. I had lobster, macaroni, and cheese. Seriously? It was really good. Okay. And prime rib and uh, crab legs. Mm. Did you plan this way ahead of time? Actually, I didn't even know we were going. Oh, did your wife plan ahead? Yeah. Okay. It's not a day of thing. And then we went with a bunch of friends, and oh. we had a private room overlooking a beautiful part of downtown Salt Lake City. Whoa. Wow. And I had to kind of dress up. Oh, well, that kind of sullies it. And I'm like, where are the escargot? And they're like, hey, we're not in France, pal. But you had a French waiter, oui. which is why you're a little bitter today. Yeah, Because he kept saying, hey, Tubby, do you want to eat more of them chicken nuggets? Were they so, chocolate chicken nuggets? Mm -hmm. Have you had those lately? No. Nummy. Dipped in a little bit of soda. Hey, I was I didn't overdo it yesterday either with the treats. Oh, how'd you do? I had a one frosted sugar cookie. Well, with frosting. Really? Wasn't like a frosted flake or anything. Frosted sugar cookie. Yeah. Two small bowls of Muddy Buddies and a small bowl of Jello. What? It, really? This wasn't like a meal. I had these things throughout the day. Wow. And I got my steps in. Oh, your stepkids? Hmm? I don't know. My steps. Come on, we're doing our step your Olympics. Step mother. You've we've got our Apple watches that count our steps for us. I got them in. You got them all in? Yeah. But you even have yours set up right now, even though you can't step anywhere. 
Right. Your your watch is like firing, ready to catch any step you t- you take, but you're not allowed to leave your little corner. This is how dedicated I am. My wife wanted me to get up at 1.30 in the morning to go investigate a noise. She thought something had hit our AC. She thought maybe the trampoline blew up against it. And before getting dressed to go outside, I put my watch on. Yeah. I wanted credit for every step. Every uh, step I, think you're I mis- take. Yeah, I think you're missing the point. Every breath I make, I'll be counting you. That sounded kind of creepy. <laughs> okay. It's a very long windup. And what we're going to do now because of that is this is why we need Common Core, many argue. Um, up next, we're going to be talking about the Common Core National Education Standards. You've heard of those, right? We have Common Core and... Uh, our guest today is going to be talking about how, how Common Core may be a threat to democracy, why Common Core tests aren't so good for us. Uh, we'll be talking about that straight ahead. This is The Matt Townsend Show. The Common Core Standards, uh, State Standards Initiative is one of the most controversial pieces of education policy to emerge in decades. Between 2013 and 2015, public support, support for Common Core dropped from 65 to 49 percent, while teacher support plummeted from 76 to 40 percent. To talk with us today about Common Core and how national education standards may not be the answer is Nicholas Tampio. He's an associate professor of political science at Fordham University, and he earned his Ph.D. from Johns Hopkins University, currently researches uh, the history of political thought, contemporary political theory, and education policy. Nicholas, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, good morning. I'm glad to be here. Now, fill us in. I mean, people have heard of Common Core before, but I think a lot of us just don't know what's going on there. So explain to us, what is Common Core? When did it begin? Why did it begin? Okay, so um, the Common Core identifies what children should be able to do in math and English language arts, ELA, at the end of each grade. And um, it came into existence because the Obama administration ran this competitive grants program called Race to the Top. And what happened was that states would apply for these competitive grants, and they would get 70 points if they adopted college and career-ready standards or the Common Core and agreed to administer Common Core tests. So when it when it got started, uh, there was a lot of enthusiasm because the promise was really great that, hey, listen, we're going to raise the bar for all students. Right. It's going to be a win. And, um, you know, the, it's like uh, it's like shoes that, you know, it, maybe it looks good on the drawing board. But once you actually put it on your foot, you're like, ouch, this hurts. And <laughs> this is not a, this is not a good shoe. And, and, you know, that's basically what parents across the country have been saying, which is like, hey, Enough with enough with the advertisements. This this shoe is not fitting our kids. And and how doesn't how doesn't it fit? Just because every but every depart. I mean, every city, every state, every locale in the country is different. Why doesn't it fit? Why doesn't it fit? Because um, it's literally one size fits all, hmm. right? It's it's it says from sea to shining. Sh- See to shining sea. That's a tongue twister. Uh, <laughs> that you know, basically, you're saying everybody at the end of kindergarten should 
be able to read emergent reader texts with purpose and understanding. That's right. one of the kindergarten. And the fact is, is that some kids learn to read a little bit later. Some kids read a little bit earlier. And, you know, the evidence suggests that early readers, you know, there's not a long-term advantage. And certain schools of thought with like the, the Waldorf method say, you know, there's no rush, that it's more, in court, more important that kids touch nature than learn to read about nature. And so, um, you know, basically every kids who are learning English are suffering, kids who have disabilities are suffering, kids who run a race ahead are suffering, creative kids and uh, kids who want to run around and jump and touch like little boys. I mean, I think it's boys mm. and girls, but really little boys need to exercise. And when you've got this common core standard saying, listen, you need to be able to on the way to reading by the end of kindergarten. You know, you're really distorting the early grade experience, I would say. so Because it's yeah, mainly it's, focused in math, right? Math and reading, or math and English classes. Yeah, that, that's it. And so, um, you know, one of the reasons I've been fighting like crazy is that I've just watched my kids' early grades education be reduced to these two subjects. And I'm saying, hey, wait a minute. Like, mm. I want my kids to be touching things and building with blocks and doing gardens and obviously you know you have to work up the ladder you got to keep getting more and more sophisticated and more abstract but uh you know in the early grades i want my kids touching the world and that's just that kind of education experiential hands-on education is being pruned from the curriculum and is it i mean it almost seems like it would it's it's a smart idea to have some metrics to know that our teachers are doing that; they're making progress. But I guess the hard part is figuring out what the metrics are, what they should, what should we be measuring? Well, that that's exactly right. I mean, I the the thing I tried to do in my book, Common Core, is really go after the idea. Uh, I have a training in political philosophy, and I said I'm actually going to go after this idea and say that Common Core has been Common Core One has been a bust. I think Common Core Two, if we redesigned it, would be a bust. The issue, the issue is this. If you say in Washington, D.C., they're going to be able to have data on how schools around the country are doing, the only way you can do that is to have standardized tests. And the only way that standardized test could work for a country as huge and diverse as America is if you really have a narrow set of skills that mm. you can test on computers. And as a parent, I'm saying, listen, I don't want my kids to have a narrow set of skills. I want them to get... I want them to have the whole buffet of education. I want them to go on field trips. I want them to be uh, learning on internships. I want them to have guest lecturers. I want them to be learning about holidays. I want them to be learning about American history and Mm -hmm. to be learning about science in ways that aren't distorted by the next generation science standards. So, um, you know, I, I, I think the founders, the American founders, were very wise not to enumerate education as a federal policy and really say, listen, this is a state and local thing. People in the community have to have a say in the local schools. Yeah. In fact, um, uh, we, we've heard of like No Child Left Behind, which ended up leaving people behind, Race to the Top, which ended up uh, getting a lot of people not to get to the top and confusing the system. Really – what what's the answer? I mean, I guess part of this is that there are tangible outcomes we need, right? Reading, we need to know that they can read. But there's the, all those a lot of those intangibles you were mentioning. We've got creativity. We want people to be resilient. We want them to problem solve. Um, there, there's a lot of these intangibles too that are a little maybe harder to measure. 
Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things that I people will sometimes say is, you know, Nick, aren't there just like certain basic things we need to test for math and English? And I want one of the things I discovered when writing my book Common Core is that reasonable people disagree about how to teach these subjects. Some 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 math educators think that you should do word problems, and mm. some math educators think you should just do pure math. In English, some people say you should emphasize, you know, creative writing, and some people say you should be able to just cite evidence from the text. Why? I, I think that there is a huge cost to saying that one faction gets to decide for all of America what education is going to be like. So my view is that I don't want to be education czar. I don't want to tell people in every state around the country how to educate their children. I um. You know, I, I want there to be freedom, and freedom is risky. Freedom is a little bit dangerous because people can abuse freedom. But, you know, I want people in inner city Detroit. I want people in upstate New York. I want people in Utah. I want them to have the freedom to help run the local schools. Yeah. They would then understand their local needs. They'd understand uh, what what products need to come out of their educational system in that area. Absolutely. Why, why you know, why should kids in Manhattan – get the same education as kids in Nebraska. Right. I mean, I mean, and you know, I don't want to reduce, I mean, everybody's complicated. I, you know, if you don't like your local schools work to make the local schools better, don't start butting your nose in other, you know, other states business and mm-hmm. start saying, you know, um, when you look at the history of the common core, Bill and Melinda Gates have paid hundreds of millions of dollars to, uh, to, you know, to help create the writing of the standards and to advertise the standards and I want to say, you know, that's not what a democracy is. That's ruled by the wealthy is oligarchy. I don't want Bill and Melinda Gates. No, no, nothing personal, guys, but get out of my schools, you know. Don't tell me how to raise my children. Is this – does – it sounds like the, arb, the, the counter argument would be, well, what about, what about the states that, that just aren't hitting the standards? They, they're not meeting the minimum requirement. They have people – too many people that aren't graduating, too many people that aren't – that aren't making it. Well, I guess I would make a negative and a positive argument. My negative argument would say, um, who's to assume that the right people will be in charge of federal education policy? Right. Right. I mean, who's to say that the bad ideas won't prevail at a federal level, which, which I argue in my book, Common Core is exactly what happened that these kind of, um, you know, I, I, gosh, I'm going to try not to use loaded language, but um, educationally problematic standards became America's national education standards. Hmm. And so, but then I'd also make the positive argument. I, I would say, um, so just be precise. Which groups shouldn't have the freedom to decide how to educate their children? Are, are you going to say that, you know, inner city Baltimore kids or parents shouldn't have a say about how they educate their children? Are you going to say that, um, uh, you know, a certain religion can't educate their children. Are you going to say that uh, a certain state can't educate their children? I mean, it becomes once you get into the specifics, it becomes very clear that people are being paternalistic and uh, disrespectful to other people. Uh, my vision is I want a garden with a lot of different flowers. I think that's the promise of America. America, we, we said, listen, we're going we're gonna to create checks and balances and different levels of, of government, and we're going to have states, and we're not going to have a king, and we're just going to really allow America to be a place of freedom. And, and that's what I want to That's what yeah. I wanna fight for. Well, and I've even seen it in Utah, a very conservative state, but uh, it, every school district is still very, very different in how they mm-hmm. approach the standards and 
the neat thing is you could still move from district to district. You can still um, get access. A lot of them are open enrollment, so you could still move your child to a more progressive kind of district or a more mm-hmm. conservative kind of district. So, I mean, I guess on the local level, there's there's it doesn't seem to be much harm there. Plus, we've also seen with the Trump administration, Trump ran on the idea of even closing the or taking away the Department of Education, right? I mean, that was some of the things he was saying is we don't need a federal level department. Well, one of the things that I try to bring to the table in my book, Common Core, is that um, I'm a political scientist by profession, and I read the Every Student Succeeds Act, which is the main federal education law. And the way that Every Student Succeeds Act works, ESSA, is that states have to submit an application saying what they'll do to get funds, primarily Title I funds for schools with historically disadvantaged uh, communities. So, um, you know, what you have to look at is what are states committing to to get federal financial aid? And my argument is that the ESSA really locks states into using the Common Core. And what you're seeing is that um, states across the country are using high-stakes testing, which means that um, teachers will get fired if students don't get high enough test score growth. Schools will be forced to turn around or become charter schools if they don't have high enough student test score growth. So, I mean, maybe you've heard of that metaphor of, you know, the frog in the, the water where the temperature yeah. keeps going up a little bit and a little bit. And I'm saying to people, like, listen, this, like, literally this is the first school year where ESSA is being implemented. Like, you can, you can wait to the last minute before you fight back, or you could actually read the law and see what's on the horizon and say, listen, we have to rethink the federal presence in education. The Trump administration is not, uh, is not planning to get rid of the Department of Education. Betsy DeVos was telling all sorts of states that their ESSA plans needed to be revised. I mean, hmm. you know, she, she's been a very hands-on Secretary of Education, despite the rhetoric. And uh, so, yeah, no, I, 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 if I can bring something to the table, I would just say, look at the Every Student Succeeds Act. Look at what's happening and try to fight back while, you know, people are still enthused about the local schools. Yeah. Well, and again, this is it's the local school where I'm involved, right? That's where I go pay the fees for my kids' classes or extracurricular activities. That's where I drive my kid and drop them off every day. We we have a lot of energy at that level, um, even maybe more so than at the, the top level. I also have a sister that's a school teacher, has been so for probably 30 years, and mm-hmm. she's been so frustrated over the last 15 years about – Basically, everything is teaching to test. We're just – it's all about testing. All we're doing is preparing the next test and she's even felt like she's losing kids because it's only about the next test. Yeah, well, you know, I – I've been giving talks for for a couple of years now, and uh, at, at the end of every talk, I have parents and teachers come up and tell me similar stories as your sister, and it breaks my heart. And I say, why are we doing this to young people in our country? Why are we, uh, why are we making them take tests to somehow provide data that gives all these? You know, I try to give respectful presentation of the argument, but I, I mean, I ultimately think that they're kind of bogus. Like. Why should DC, why should Washington D.C. have all the levers, and why should they be able to force states around the country to administer Common Core testing? It's uh, it breaks my heart, and I also think you know we're we're hurting our country in all sorts of ways. What about those kids that are getting lost? That could be great artists. Mm-hmm. That could be great car mechanics. That could be great uh, you know politicians. That could be great all sorts of different things. You know the Common Core. 
or it's analog, the, the testing is such a narrow set of skills that all sorts of kids with wonderful gifts are, are, are falling behind. Yeah, no, I think I think you're on to something. And, and again, too, this eventually ends up working into, you know, um, other trainings. Should kids, should every kid go to college or universities? Would other types of trade uh, education be better? And how do we revamp the entire education system? But there's that battle between federal and state um, uh, organization. So, Nicholas, thank you so much. We appreciate you and your book, Common Core National Education Standards and the Threat to Democracy. Nicholas Tampio is his name. Um, again, Associate Professor of Political Science at Fordham University. The battle continues. Everyone has their view right. Um, it doesn't have to be right or wrong, but we can understand that there's there's interesting pressures and these these uh, rules we set up, no child left behind, race to the top. Every administration sets up something. Um, we we got to make sure they still trickle down to the to the really to the children that we're trying to improve the lives of. We will continue the journey and the discussion straight ahead. More fun and insight here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, it is uh, my anniversary today, the day after Valentine's Day. And so um, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mom. Thank you. So uh, Terry is – Terry. <laughs> Sorry. That's a golfer. That's, that was audio taken from a golfing uh, tournament, I, I right. believe. Right. So Terry's been putting together a list of marriage advice well, no. for the marriage coach. I stole this from uh, – Oh, yeah. Kristen Bell. Okay. She's an actress. Yeah. She's on the show The Good Place. If she's, you watch that. She's a great actress. Love it. Married Love to it. who? Uh, Dak Shepard. Dak Shepard. Yeah. got married in 2013. So on, on Valentine's Day, she took to Instagram to share a note she wrote for a couple getting married. She was oh. trying to write some something congratulatory, yeah. but in the end, she jotted down marriage advice. And she said, after I was finished, I realized that I wrote it pretty much the A to Z of how her and her husband keep the relationship healthy. Oh, excellent. Good. All right. So I figured this would be where Mac gets to judge. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, being a marriage expert, <laughs> yeah. at what point do you become a marriage expert where you can start giving out tips? Because many would say yeah. maybe five years isn't a big enough, a no. large enough sample no, no, no. size. Yeah, I think it's 27 years. Wait a minute. And if you're it's married 27 highly years. highly specific number and there. And still married, which is what's happened to me today. Married 27 okay. years. Um, then you can actually give out advice. Okay. Anybody less than that, sorry. So everything that we've been listening to you say up until this point, we should not have listened to. No, 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 because last year the, <laughs> the rule was 26 years. Oh, okay. It's a moving scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, five years of marriage. Vulnerability always begets connection. Yes. And intimacy. Stay yes. vulnerable with each other. Yes. Which you That's great advice. About. That's that's great advice. Vulnerability. I don't know. By the way, that's why Adam and Eve mm. were they they were they noticed na- their nakedness, and that symbolically meant they noticed they were vulnerable. Or if you remember when they were vulnerable, are in you the reading garden, into that too much? No, when they were vulnerable in the garden, that's when everything started to kind of go sideways. They started running and hiding and fearing and shaming. 
It's actually vulnerability is a very so what essential. Are you saying? Is vulnerability essential part is it good or bad? You said it's, everything went sideways once they were vulnerable. Because that's that, that's what that's what will always happen in your marriage. If you're if you can't be vulnerable with each oh. other, then you have to run and hide from each other, and you blame each other for everything, and you fear everything. Were you just on a Jerry Lewis rant there, with no. the running and the hiding and the blow blaming? No, no. Okay. Don't know what you're talking about. That's weird. Uh, moving on. Kristen Bell says, in 10 years, when the dopamine has waned, remember, life is crazy. It's a privilege to go through it with a partner. Yeah. Now, the dopamine will actually wane in about six months to three years. Right. Well, she's been married five years. Well, no. So she thinks it's going to be 10. She's, yeah. well, she's she just, actually... She, she picked a number. No, did she? You were saying 26. No, no, no. Dopamine. We're talking dopamine. Yeah. So you're dopamine Do- free is what you're saying. Dopamine... Your your levels of chemistry drop after the first oh yeah year. That's done like six months. They go to normal levels. At some point it's like you're you're talking about yeah. vacuuming, you know. Yeah, then it's about yeah. Where's the excitement there? Yeah, unless it's a really nice vacuum. Well, even then it's kind of boring. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, another uh, tip she gave: take necessary uh, take necessary separateness. Yeah, she calls it separateness. It will make you make your marriage better. Yeah, if you're separate. Some just say, hey, I need a break from you. Yeah. Oh, you need your my, separateness? My, my wife gets her hair done. Oh, yeah, see ya. That's Some all she gets? No, I mean, she takes, she goes away all the time. It's great. Well, she actually works all day. I'm home with the kids yeah. in the afternoon. So there's separateness there. So it's okay when I go to the bathroom and take my phone with me and forget what's going that's on a, in the That's house. actually different. Okay. That's you. That's called hiding. Yeah. <laughs> That's different than separateness. And, and separateness would, would kind of be the idea that there's an idea where you want to be together. And we love each that's other. That's not a situation you need to yeah. share with anyone, right? So that's well, yeah, just, that, that's actually just kind of hygiene, and that's just take care of stuff. Yeah, just yeah, bodily stuff. Yeah. So Kristen Bell, marriage, yeah. marriage tips. Great. Loving someone despite their faults, failings, or character defects is the most powerful loving thing you can do. Yes. What about pointing them out? No. What if you go, do you remember that thing you do? No, I wouldn't do that. Really? Hmm. I mean, everybody just wants to know they're loved. Okay. Unconditionally. What if you point it out in a loving way? Hmm. What would your motive be? To get a laugh? I don't know if you could do that in a loving way. Get a laugh way. at their weakness? I think it would sound more like what Matt says with, oh, and I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hold on. You Are you like doing that? that in a loving way? Is that your idea of a loving way? Oh, no, no. Okay. You're just being a jerk? Yeah, but in, in a, not a loving way. I'm just being a jerk. In the and, best way possible. Yeah, in the best way possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another tip. Rejoice in what makes the other person happy and allow them their individual interests. Yeah. You see the level of character that takes right. to actually... Be excited when they're excited. My wife's like, I'm going to a concert. I said, great. She never asked me, which is a sign of love because I wouldn't want to go. See? Yeah. We know each other. (laughs) She's very smart. And (laughs) she she, gets her separateness. Right. See? And she may not want to go with you to that one because you would just. It's all all girl power. Just go ahead. Whatever. What concert is it? It's pink. Oh, that's a great concert. Mm. I'm like, yeah. That girl's con- go, that girl's got pipes. Go celebrate womanness. Have fun. Yeah. Make sure she takes her lozenge out. <laughs> like she did at the beginning of the <laughs> National Anthem of the yeah. Super Bowl. Uh, and finally, know that everyone is doing the best when they can. Mm. 
with what they've got. Yeah. So they're doing the best they can with what they've got. So get a bigger emotional toolbox to fit your problem or to fix your problem. Oh, that's really good advice. Continue to build and, and grow your emotional capabilities so yeah. you can She's fix the obviously problem. reading some pretty popular books today. Starved Stuff? Wasn't some that br- in Starved yeah, Stuff? Yeah, that was in Starved Stuff. And in and Brene Brown's book, she's obviously reading about vulnerability. She's probably learned about attachment disorder. Oh, wow. This is all new to me. So. This is all really good stuff. This is why, uh, honestly, I would say they have a shot. I mean, a lot of Hollywood marriages fail, if you notice, within the first three years. Is that what it is? Three yeah. years? Yeah, it's kind of weird. You know what the problem is? What's the problem? When someone's shining their phone in your eyes and you can't see. Wait, Jeff, that's stop a different that. topic. Um, yeah. Yeah. So do you think maybe people don't – well, <laughs> do you think the main cause of marriage it, dissolving and falling apart is a marriage. lack of just emotional understanding? Yeah. People are clueless. They think they think it's going to be something else. They get in there and they realize uh-huh. you have to care about another person. And they, Why wouldn't yep. you think that going in? You're well, going we, to because you're in you're in this chemical love that just feels like La La Land, hmm. not the movie. Don't I think bring a, it up. I think a lot of these couples <laughs> go into their marriage with the the D word door open. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like they always have this. They always have the this runway. What's it called? Like the an, an exit. They can always just yeah. take just, the next exit. It's easy way out. We don't even mm. say the D word in our house. No, we don't either. You know, with that light shining in my face, it, it's difficult to see these buttons. I mean, I could turn off your mic on accident, and I wouldn't be able to tell which. Then he just, nah, I just turn it back, turn it back on. on. It's right there oh. in front of him. He's got his own oh, I just turn the volume down. Uh, ah. <laughs> wow. Power's gone straight to his head. Yeah. Okay. So there's some tips. Kristen Bell. It's really Kristen good Bell. stuff. Some ideas. That was really... Kristen's got her stuff together. Hmm. Now, what if I came up with some marriage tips? Wouldn't listen to them. Okay. Well, They've actually defied some odds, too, because I've heard in Hollywood a great way to get a divorce is to work with your spouse on a show or a movie. Oh, yeah. And they've worked together before, and they're still together. I believe it. I believe it. Hey, uh, we'll uh, take a quick little break here, come back, and continue the journey helping you love longer and lead healthier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's my house, come on! Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends. You know, remember, um, 17 high school, uh, 17 people in high school died because of a shooting. And I've already had people comment that uh, this isn't about the government. This isn't about the NRA. This is, this is about the person. And what I want everybody to think of right now, everyone is going to have a position on where this needs to go to be fixed. The reality is it's going to be the exact same position you took last time on the last mass shooting. That it wasn't about the government or it wasn't about the NRA or it wasn't about the victim or the victims or it wasn't about – it was about bullying or whatever else happened to this person. Here's the reality. Every other way we've done this for the last – every one of the last shootings has done nothing to fix anything. So everybody that is so pro-gun, can you just for once try to go look at it another way? Everybody that's so pro uh 
um, government, can you just look at it another way? We all need to look at this problem through another lens. I'm not for one way or another. I am for finally changing a problem that took 17 lives yesterday. And the only way we're going to change anything is if we all look at it a different way and are willing to shift and make some changes. If we're not and we're all going to keep entrenching back into the same old arguments that we kept fought every single time we've, we've had these issues, then just prepare, I guess, your community to be the next one. <laughs> just prepare because it's going to happen. This is going to keep happening unless somebody's willing to change and we're going to just keep waiting for someone else to change other than ourselves. So I challenge everyone to try to look at this from the other person's frame of reference It's called taking the place of other. It's one of the highest forms of humanity is when you have enough charity in your heart to take a look at it from another person's perspective. If we as a community don't step up to help each other, then who will is the quote by Kathy Grimes. Well, we'll continue the journey doing what we can to help you be the good in the world. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered Doing what we can to make sense of this crazy life, and again, another tragedy, apparently the 18th this year. Um, we we, we were, went over some numbers about, I don't know, six months ago, about how many shootings there are a year. It's like hundreds and hundreds of shootings. I guess a mass shooting is more than two. For or more or more four. people that got shot, not necessarily died, but yeah. shot, and there's, yeah. There's hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of them every year. This was a, a school shooting. Seventeen died in the school and uh, tragedy in every way, shape or form. And now everybody is going to start politicizing it and turning it into, you know, a hacky sack and start taking a shot at it. The, the reality is we've talked about it every other time there's been a shooting like this. We bring up the exact same things over and over and over and everyone will take their position. You know, those that are anti-gun will take the anti-gun position. Some will take the mental health position. Some will take government needs to do more. Some will take this is about education. And the reality is it's a complex issue that would actually probably need to be fixed on many of those levels. And yet not a lot has been done on any of these fronts at over the last shootings. I don't know that any legislation has been passed on mental health issues. Do not believe so. Uh, the bump stocks don't know any, that anything happened or came out of There's that. There's a couple states that have taken yeah. action, couple but of states nothing have federally. No. Taken care of it, even though everyone was equally offended by the concept that you could do this. Yeah, you could uh, take this piece of plastic, put it on the gun, and all of a sudden right. it turns it into something it wasn't sold as. One of our listeners has has brought up a point. Well, well why are we talking about the NRA and our legislators? Why aren't we just talking about maybe the kid was bullied? Mm. Yeah, maybe. But there's probably more work being done on bullying than any of these other issues that are being done. I mean, Mm. we talk about bullying on the show regularly, and, you know, every school program has a bullying. I mean, every school now has a bullying program. Every one of these schools, too, also have uh, drills for um, shooter drills in case a shooter 
comes onto the scene. They're, they know what to do. And again, having a drill does not change the fact that there's other issues. And this is a complex issue that has to be solved by a community. But 17 people are dead. And I'm convinced if we all keep going about this the same way, we will have another one. That's just how this works. Um, and everyone will complain about it, and then everyone will turn it into a political issue. But no one's here to say you can't have a gun. But you probably don't need a bump stock. By the way, even if you have a disability, you probably still don't need a bump stock. There's probably right. another way, a safer way. My dad's solution? Yeah. Uh, we The Constitution says that we have the right to bear arms, but it doesn't say anything about the bullets. Yeah. That's his idea. Well, yeah. But then that's going to get everybody riled up. Right? No, yeah. yeah, Don't take my bullets. Yep. But again, 17 dead and uh, more, you know, more of the same. It's um, it's just the same story over and over again. So if you think about it. What's your solution? Oh, well, and if you're going to go to the same argument that you have used at every one of these other ones, then you haven't solved it yet. This is complicated issue, and usually in a complex issue, there has to be a complex solution, and the complex solution would have to involve the NRA, the gun manufacturers, the ammo manufacturers, the Congress, uh, the citizens of America, the teachers, the educators, the students, the parents. It would be everyone involved, everybody involved. And uh, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be political about it. There is – there, there are answers to these things, and until it somehow hits your neighborhood – I mean, on CNN, there was an, a, a seasoned FBI, retired FBI agent that broke down crying because he can't handle seeing this. This is something that's fixable. This is something we can do. And again, it, get rid of the guns. It won't solve this problem. It would just be a knifing problem, right? It would just be the next type of crime or it would be something else. So it's not just guns and it's not just mental health. It's community issues. It's a bunch of stuff. But please, we have to talk about all of it without people panicking and, and thinking that all their rights are going to be taken away. Let's get to some other headlines. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? Uh, this is something that comes up every time after every mass shooting since 2014. The uh, satirical news outlet, The Onion, yeah, puts up a headline that says, No way to prevent this, says the only nation where this regularly happens. No way to prevent it, says the, the only nation where this regularly happens. Yeah. Every other nation, this isn't happening in France all the time. No. Interesting. So they just, they just put that up and then move on with the day because what are you going to do? Yeah. That's kind of where we're at. Uh, so Florida U.S. Senators described the horrific scene at the Florida high school on Wednesday where the shooter opened fire on students, killing 17, at least 17. He wore a gas mask, smoker, and he used smoke grenades. He set off the fire alarm so kids would come out in the hallways. Uh, Senator Bill Nelson of Florida said on MSNBC, uh, crowded hallways, and just he caused that chaos to get people moving, and that's where he was able to... I guess have the yeah. the access there. Uh, Senator Marco Rubio said on Twitter that he was briefed on the attack, which was designed and executed to maximize loss of life. The alleged shooter in custody. Uh, it's the 18th school shooting this year. There have been 1,607 mass shootings since Sandy Hook, uh, the shooting in 2012, mm. if you're keeping score. Uh, I'm totally opposed to domestic violence of any kind. Everyone knows that, the president, Donald Trump, said Wednesday during a brief press availability, and it almost wouldn't even have to be said. 
So now you've heard it, but yeah. you all know it. Yeah. His comments came a week after the former White House Staff Secretary, Rob Porter, resigned. And the comments you heard from the president were that uh, we need to think about the his career, I guess. His, yeah. The, the lives are being destroyed by accusations. These are allegations. Right. You know, that, that, that's all what he, had he to said. Say, all he had to say, oh, and the and the, and. And the wives as well, you know. I mean, I mean, he yep. just had to. But this is why this is a handling issue. They just don't. Usually, there's handlers that handle well, this. And because this has gone on so long, now the House Oversight Committee is opening hearings on yeah. this very topic. Yeah. But and by the way, led by Trey Gowdy, Trey Gowdy, who is a Republican. This isn't this. What that wasn't a witch hunt. No. There's other witch hunts. Yes, but that wasn't necessarily a witch hunt. AT and T is trying to prove that President Trump personally intervened to stop a proposed merger with Time Warner. Bloomberg reported Wednesday. AT and T reportedly believes there are documents tracing correspondence between the White House and the Justice Department that could prove President Trump wanted the eighty-five billion dollar merger killed last November. The DOJ announced that it would initiate an antitrust lawsuit to block the merger between AT and T and Time Warner, claiming the deal would substantially substantially less in competition. When news of the suit surfaced, the New York Times reported that the uh, Department of Justice had insinuated the deal would be imp- approved if Time Warner sold off Turner Broadcasting, which owns the president's least favorite cable network, CNN. <laughs> Various sources within AT&T and Time Warner told Vanity Fair that the demand for the Time Warner to shed Turner Broadcasting and CNN by proxy reeked of politics. So now they're trying to find if there's a paper trail. Man, this thing reeks of politics. <laughs> it reeks. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, yeah. We'll see if that actually goes through. Yeah. If my cell phone will get a free subscription to CNN, I'm not sure how that works. Really? I don't know. I don't know. You have to, I mean, will just, I hey, just get access to the Put it on my app? account. Just put it on my account. Put it on Matt's account? See how that works for you. <laughs> uh, finally, U.S. man Tom Turich is yeah. taking a very long walk. So far, he spent... 472 days, that number's probably changed since he continues to walk, traveling 7,000 miles across 11 countries, and he's not anywhere close to finish. Talk about a walk Olympics, right? Oh, yeah. Turrets 27 felt the urge to explore the world after a close friend died at the age 17, and when he decided he would someday walk across all seven continents. Hmm. He spent the next few years com- uh, competing, uh, completing college and working to save money. Finally, in April 2015, he quit his job as a solar panel installer, gathered his gear, and set out on foot from his home in New Jersey. He began documenting his travels on Facebook and Instagram. Wow. He even picked up a furry companion, a dog, Savannah, along the way. From New Jersey, he walked south through <laughs> the U.S., Mexico, and Central America. Right now... Uh, this was, I believe, a couple weeks ago I found this. But right now he's in South America. Next, he'll take a boat to Antarctica, then fly to Europe. From there, he'll move west through Africa and Asia, fly to Australia, walk its width, and then fly back to the U.S. over the Pacific. The final stretch of walk will take him from the West Coast back to home to New Jersey. Wow. He was when I started walking, I, it was 15 miles a day, and my legs were throbbing and cramping. Now I do 30 miles some days and stretch at night. I'm good to go the next day. He says Guatemala's mountains have been his biggest challenge so far. They were so brutally steep, I could only manage about 10 miles a day. The climbs paid off, though. Guatemala is spectacular, he says. Oh, yeah. mm. He pushes all his gear in a baby stroller, even though mountainous, even through the mountainous terrain. So he's pushing this baby stroller up mountains. Uh, using the stroller as opposed to lugging everything on a backpack lessens the physical toll on his body. He carries basic camping supplies like a tent and a sleeping bag. He changes, he charges his phone using a portable solar panel mm. 
theme. He's yeah. a solar panel installer, so he may have some idea there. He also has a friend who periodically ships him a new pair of sneakers. Each pair lasts about 500 miles. Whoa. What a deal. So the real That's question cool. is, though, is Australia a continent or just a country? Yes. Remember, a teacher got yeah, fired over that, this. Um, I thought we had established that. It's both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's the other A continent, Africa. Well, well Antarctica. The different. weird thing is some dog just starts following him in New Jersey. Yeah. That dog has no idea no. what he got himself into. <laughs> yeah. You, all of a sudden you jump on this ride and you're like, wait a second. He could have followed the postal worker and it would have ended in about an hour. Yeah. But now he's, uh, what, he's halfway around the country, around the world. Yeah. Wow. Mm. That's, uh, I mean, of all the goals you would want to set, is that one you would go after? I mean, I could see traveling to every continent. That'd be think, neat. Think about explaining a, in a future job interview, there's like this four-year gap. Yeah. So yeah. what happened what, here? What happened here? You haven't worked. You haven't been in the job market. Have you seen my thighs? <laughs> Look at these legs. <laughs> Just think of the toll on his hips and his body and his back and mm. i guess he's that's cool i wonder if people will start following him other you know other people not just canines and uh it'll be kind of like forrest gump that'd be neat that'd be really neat then he disappoints them all and just stops can you imagine <laughs> how many steps he's getting a day yeah i know you're so right jealous. i wish he was on my olympics team because well, right now michael dunn is crushing all of us. Yeah. Well, Michael Dunn, the leader of BYU Broadcasting, is a healthy, healthy man. And, so, you know, maybe you're not as healthy as he is. Probably helps if you have as many meetings in different places throughout the day. No. I have basically two appointments which require me to just sit or stand in those rooms all day. Here for the mm-hmm. morning show and then at home doing voiceovers in a booth. Yeah. That's it. And the booth is a very small booth. Yeah. Right? So you're kind of – you know what you remind me of? Veal. <laughs> veal? Yeah. Because I, I am so, covered in cheese or – No, because oh. so when, they, when they're making veal, they'll take these, the calf and just put it in a really tiny enclosure. So mm. it doesn't exercise and it doesn't move. Isn't oh. that just a foil container of some kind with the paper – no, we're talking about the on actual the live animal. Oh, I see. And they just I, keep I just in. went not, straight to food for some reason. Not what you microwave and yeah. rip the top off to eat. <laughs> yeah. If you guys grew up in my generation, they used to do, you know, documentaries about how vil, how they how they grew the the animal and and raised the animal to right. to not have any muscle mass or wow. And just the right amount of fat. Pretty tasty. Yeah. Yeah, so when I look at you, that's what I think. The right amount of fat? And muscle mass. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. It's, that turned awkward. Yeah, it kind of went a different direction there. Very yeah. fast. Um, I thought you guys would get the Ville idea. So um, let's get to the other headlines. Jeffrey, do you have some empty news for us that we should be focused on? I sure do, Matt. You've uh, you've probably heard in the news, everybody likes to tune in whenever there's a car chase or some hot pursuit. But uh, how about if that's coming from the sky? Ooh, Do you think the scary. cops ever look have to look up and tell somebody to pull over? Oh, yeah. 
So apparently, there are two hot air balloons that were flying extremely low and possibly smacking into residences. Sheriff's deputies arrived at the neighborhood and saw a blue and yellow balloon and a multicolored one flying at times just a few feet above homes and trees. Authorities said in a statement, they were able to make contact with the pilots who were flying their privately owned balloons and asked them to land right away. It's very mm. polite. Yeah, please land right away. Post haste. I wonder if they said it that way. When was the last time you used post haste? Eighteen ninety four. Where you weren't trying to be, I guess, ironic. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So one craft landed at a local high school baseball field, and the other in an orange grove of a private residence. There's no word on why the pilots were flying so low,、hmm. but police will be alerting the Federal Aviation Administration for further review of possible violations. How else can we nail these guys? <laughs> no one was injured, and officers couldn't find any homes with damage.、Uh. Maybe they were in a high-speed chase with one another. Yeah. Maybe one was the villain, one was the good guy trying, trying to, to get, get away. away. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing scarier than that. Yeah, right. So you mentioned yesterday that you celebrated Valentine's Day by going to a high scale、yep. restaurant with a French waiter who served you your chocolate chicken nuggets, <laughs> and it was a wonderful evening, right?、Yeah. So I wonder what advice you would have for this couple. There's a 48 year old Florida woman who was arrested Monday. After she screamed at resort staff and threw plants off a hotel balcony, Ooh. Wendy Sue Crocker faces charges of, re- of resisting arrest without violence and breach of peace. A deputy arrived at the resort and marina about 11 a.m. Monday, where employees told him that Crocker and her boyfriend were arguing on a room balcony and throwing plants at each other. Oh boy. Don't get the plant life involved. I, it's it's almost like you're involving the children in these arguments. You know,、yeah. no, you got to stay leave, out. Leave the poor plants alone. What did they do to you? And all the fighting is bad for plants. I know. I, it's good to talk and sing to plants, but yelling, no, that that really stunts their growth. It turns their leaves. Employees said one of the plants was thrown from the balcony and almost hit an employee in the head. Oh boy! Crocker resisted being handcuffed after refusing to follow the deputy's orders. The deputy later removed. The handcuffs, so Crocker could gather her belongings from the hotel room and probably throw a couple more plants. But she began <laughs> to remove the bedding owned by the resort and place it in her vehicle. Oh boy, strange. Yeah, Croc- I guess if she's going to prison, she wants to be comfortable. Crocker was taken back into custody after refusing the deputy's orders to stop putting the hotel bedding in her car. <laughs> hey, stop putting the hotel bedding in your car. Yeah. Where, I mean, what could have been the purpose of that? Just did she hide some cash in there? Or? She just was stealing.、Hmm. Just you know. Okay. Have you ever had like a five hundred count cotton sheet? No, but、That's... it's funny because I was just watching an episode of The Simpsons yesterday, and Homer why is stealing a TV or something out of the hotel room, and he's explaining、uh, that oh yeah, I mean hotels expect you to just steal everything that's in them. And I guess in a way it's true. You know, we all want to take the toilet paper, the tissue paper, the shampoos, the soaps,、yeah. the shower caps, even though we never use those. It's well, just nice to know we have them. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I, we. Yeah. They probably don't really want you to steal everything. Homie may not be right on that. Well, I think everything that is bolted down, they don't want you to steal. But everything else, 
mm, they're willing to turn a blind eye. You think? Isn't that right? Yeah, anything that's, I guess, like soap. But anything that they're just reusing anyway. Not the pillows, not the mattresses. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get technical on you, but it is, it's theft. Hey, yeah. the, I. You, didn't, I, you mm, didn't do it. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. So listen to this. This is uh, the last one we'll do before we go to break yeah. here. Um, I think a lot of people would be interested in this. I've I've talked about before how I'm not a – I don't like it when people that are capable of growing a full set of hair decide that they're just going to keep their head shaved. Yeah. What, what? You don't like that. I don't like that. I kind of resent that. Not that I'm bald, but I. that's not to say lines aren't receding. But but you feel like if you have a, a full head of hair, you sh- you're kind of obligated to oh, yeah. to wear it because there are so many men who would love to have that hair. So many men that would be very interested in this study that is happening in Japan that could be a cure for baldness. Oh, really? Yeah. Let's hear yes. about this. Well, it's a cure for it could be a cure for baldness. They're studying it. Uh, they're studying mice. And it's coming from the most unlikely of places, McDonald's, if you can believe that. A product sold at McDonald's. Filet of fish. Yes. And to give us some tips on what we can do if we don't want to wait for scientists to figure this out and mass produce this product or chemical that will help us stint this 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 baldness, we've got Dr. Von Strudel. Uh, oh, no with way. the Weird Science Minute, he's going to give us some tips on what we can do today. Awesome. Hello, Dr. Von Strudel here with another Weird Science Minute. The science. If you find that you are losing your hair and you would prefer not to, there is hope for you. According to a recent study, it appears a cure for boldness is French fries? Japanese scientists have conducted a series of experiments using the silicone added to the fries to regrow hair on mice, and preliminary tests suggest the groundbreaking method is likely to be just as successful on humans. Now, if you can't wait for the scientists to mass-produce the hair follicle germs, I suggest you do the following. Go to your nearest restaurant and order a plate of fries— Rub two to three of them on your head in a circular motion for 12 to 13 minutes. Repeat this process three times a week for six weeks, and you should start to see results. Also, if you would like the hair to grow in with a little color, it would not hurt to squeeze some ketchup and mustard onto your noggin. I'm Dr. Von Strudel, and that's Weird Science. 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 What separates humans from other animals? We certainly aren't stronger, faster, or bigger than most other species that would threaten us. So what separates us from those other species? The first answer that might come to your mind is, duh, our brains. But Professor Joe Heinrich uh, argues it's not our brains that saved us, but our culture. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Heinrich. He uh, started the interview. I started the interview by asking him about our key to success. Well, I think one way to kind of uh, throw the problem into stark relief is if you imagine a kind of 
game of survivor experiment in which we take, say, a bunch of Americans, you know, well-educated um, uh, adults, experienced, and uh, parachute them into the Aturi forest in Africa. And we also <laughs> parachute in a group of capuchin monkeys. And we then see who we come back a year later or two years later and see which team survived, the, the big-brained humans or the relatively <laughs> small-brained capuchin monkeys. And if your intuitions are like mine, you're probably bet on the monkeys. Yeah, it'd be a bloodbath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, why, why would that be? Well, the, the reason, it, there's, of course, lots of humans who have lived for millennia uh, in the Aturi forest, but that's because they depend on a large body of information that they acquire from previous generations, information about how to find food, make shelters, create medicines, detoxify plants, and, and hunt animals and do animal tracking. And the Americans we'd, we'd parachute in there wouldn't have had that knowledge bestowed on them by previous generations. So it really turns out our ability to survive in all the diverse uh, environments that humans have expanded on all over the planet comes from something about our ability to generate this cumulative know-how, which turns out to be rooted not in our individual intelligence or learning abilities, but in the fact that we attend to and learn from other people. And that creates this cultural evolutionary or cultural inheritance system that produces all this fancy stuff that we rely on. So the, the culture is the cumulative know-how. It's, it's the yeah. stored Wisdom, knowledge, understanding of our environment, our culture, I mean our uh, – yeah, our environment. The natural world. Yeah, the natural world. And it's stored – where is culture stored? Just in – Yeah, so it's, it's – you should think of culture as information stored in our brains about how to make tools, about how to do rituals, about how to organize ourselves, stored in our brains – that we then pass down from one generation to another. Now, we typically call it culture only when a, a certain group of people comes to share similar ideas, beliefs, and values or ways of doing things and have similar customs. Hmm. Is, is our culture uh, – I guess our culture is adaptive, right? So if we, if we had enough people in that forest, over time, if they were surviving, they would start to pass down the, the skills, the tools, uh, and the information to, to create survival. It would, yeah. it would evolve, right? Exactly. So that's one of the uh, big insights of the last 10 or 20 years is that from very young age, people don't just learn from anybody. They don't just learn from their parents, but rather they zoom in on members of their social world who are particularly successful, skilled, or doing things that lead to success and prestige. Hmm. They'll even use cues about who other people are paying attention to and learning from to zero in and target their learning. Now, at the individual level, this only makes a small difference, but at the aggregate group level over generations, this unconsciously, without anybody knowing it, accumulates practices that allow people to survive better and better adapt to their environments. Hmm. It's, uh, um, is culture inherent? Is it, just, is, it a, is it an intuitive, natural thing that we all just do naturally, or is it a, a taught thing? Well, culture so creation. The actual information that we're acquiring was being learned, but the the recent insights have suggested that we're evolved to be these kind of learners. That more than any other species, we look out into the world, into the other members of our social group, and preferentially learn from them. And one of the interesting things about that is we're so reliant on learning from other people that it'll even override our own intuitions, our own experiences, um, and even our own instincts. One of the examples I like about this is uh, people in hot climates eat a lot of chili peppers, and spices like chili peppers seem to be an adaptation for killing microbes that you find in meat. Hmm. Um, but other animals like chimpanzees and babies are very averse. They have innate aversions uh, to chili peppers. In fact, chili peppers probably evolved 
in order to create chemical toxins that keep uh, mammals away. But we're able to learn to like chili peppers by learning from other members of our social milieu in a way that allows us to solve a problem dealing with pathogens that, that accumulate in meat in hot climates. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Is it um, – as I, as I sit and think, uh, my kids today, uh, historically, the culture would be handed down almost tribally, right? And, right. And in, famil- in families, yeah, families and communities. Yeah. So we've been studying a lot of cultural learning in small-scale societies, so I do field work in Fiji. And people do learn from members of their household, but, you know, the kids are raised in, in mixed play groups. So the whole, all the village kids play together, and the old, younger ones learn from the older ones. So it's very much a community. It, t- it takes a village, as they say. Does, does this advancement of social media and technology, what, how, what does it do to our cultural milieu and change? Does it, I mean, it seems like now my children can be influenced by someone culturally that isn't even of my culture. Right. So it it massively expands the kind of pool of people we can learn from. Now, of course, we can learn things uh, through books and through through media, um, although there still seems to be a priority in our psychology for learning from people we can personally interact with and, and be in the same room with. So um, if you look at something like dialect, people still learn to speak the local, uh, pronounce words in the local way the other members of their, uh, their community do, and, and not so much in the way that they might hear on TV. Um, but the, so it's kind of a mix uh, of how important these other, other sources of input are. Hmm. And then we take... Um we, we, I guess we take this collective culture and is there an inherent nature or natural way that we try to just constantly improve upon the culture or does a culture eventually just become kind of static and stays neutral? Well, I mean individuals themselves are, are making small modifications in lots of different ways. Um, the interesting thing is, is that a lot of these things, a lot of these complex sets of practices – are sufficiently complicated that individuals themselves have, would have a hard time improving on it, but they're still making small modifications through their own experience, through errors they make. Uh, but this just creates the variation to continue to improve things. Now, of course, certain things will get about as good as they can get for the environment. We see this sometimes with hunter-gatherer technology until something new comes in and spreads from, from some other group. Uh, and then one of the powerful drivers of all this is recombination. So the larger and more interconnected your groups are, the faster they're going to be able to uh, create adaptive cultural evolution, the faster this cumulative process is going to go. Hmm. What does the future of this look like? Well, um, I mean, because of this idea that the larger and more interconnected your populations are, the faster your adaptive evolution is, the faster technological evolution is, for example, it is good that the world's becoming more interconnected. So when we've seen in the past these various communication revolutions like reading and, and uh, the writing of letters and telephones and stuff, this all accelerates things. But now with the Internet, that it should uh, only exaggerate the, the speed of the evolution of all of um, this cultural body of know-how. Hmm. Is um, when you talk about this, the power of culture. It culture I, I, is a uh, it's a cooperative effort, right? It's a cooperative. It's the interaction between humans um, that shares education, shares information, shares, I guess, the norms, the the mores of the culture. Um, what about if you? It, 
if you're too individualistic, does does this then start to break down if people aren't cooperating? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the uh, processes I describe as self-domestication. So uh, once once humans could learn from each other, they could acquire rules. And not only could they acquire rules about how to behave, how you're supposed to do certain rituals, what you're supposed to believe in, um, how you should build your house, uh, but you can also acquire the standards for judging others. And this gives rise to social norms. If a group uh, begins to share the standards for judging others, then it, it compels others to go along with whatever it is the group wants to do. And then you can have competition amongst groups so that rules and uh, standards for judging others that lead to that group to be more successful, to spread, to have more babies, um, to overtake other groups, those begin to spread. And you get this interaction of genetic and cultural evolution that will favor people who go along with the rules. Um, because if you don't go along with the rules, people judge you, they ostracize you, they punish you, um, and you know the, the group gets rid of you. So this led to us being a lot, becoming a lot more domesticated than other species, being able to uh, go along with the group, being kind of groupish and inclined to to whatever the group wants. Mm. Does is there is there a downside to this? It seems like um, if the group is going against. Uh, maybe somebody's values or beliefs, but the group is more powerful, then the group would just run over a, a, another person's values or beliefs. Well, yeah. I mean, so we're talking about a long-term yeah. uh Process. Uh, evolutionary process. And so, yeah, there were probably lots of individuals who had their own ideas and their own self-interest, but uh, they were compelled by the fact that the, they were being judged by others and they would get a bad reputation. They wouldn't be able to find mates. Mm. Uh, all those Ostracized, kind of factors yeah. to, to, to go along with the group. So this, this led us, this gave us the ability to curb our self, self-interest in order to go along with widely shared norms in a social group. Hmm. So whatever it is the customs are in the group, and of course at the ultimate level, at the, at the evolutionary way, we're going along because our ancestors got punished for, for violating these rules. Now, of course, at the proximate level, a lot of times we're, we're going along for the same reason, or we may have actually internalized these social norms so that we want to do them, and it just gives us a way of better navigating a world by internalizing the social rules and, and, and making them our own in hmm. a sense. And um, how many years does it take to see an evolutionary change? Well, the um, we're talking about things here that have been happening for hundreds of thousands of years. But recent studies of the human genome have given us a real sense of how quickly genetic evolutionary change can occur. So... Um, there's a uh, many humans, well, 32% of humans have a gene that allows them to process milk, uh, break down lactase sugars into adulthood. The standard mammalian is, uh, system is that after weaning, you lose the ability to break down lactose sugars. But in a couple different populations, one in Europe and, and some in Africa, certain populations um, had a genetic change. And we actually know, you know what chromosome the, the change uh-huh. occurred and, and what it did, which allowed them to process milk into adulthood. And so that then spread to 32% of the global population in about 7,000 years. 7,000 years. So th- that, that's the best estimation we have of a genetic evolutionary change. Right. So that's a pretty, uh, uh, that's a very strong selection pressure. So uh, in the sort of, in the studies that exist so far, that's one of the most powerful and quickest wow. um, changes we've seen. So think of that as an as a upper, upper limit on how fast evolution can go, genetic evolution. So really, um, 
like we now seem to have this incre- this incredible flux of information systems and technology driving things, and we may not see evolutionarily what all this technology how how it will impact us evolutionarily for seven thousand more years. Right. So the, these things take a long time. Yeah. Um, now, one of the points I make in the book is that although you know the modern world is transforming in ways that will no doubt have big evolutionary consequences for where our genetic evolution goes, that's been the case in human evolutionary history for at least a million years. Hmm. So one of the interesting things about, about humans is that if you compare us to other primates and other mammals, our digestive tract uh, looks depauperate. So our stomachs are too small for a primate of our size, our colons are too short, we have these small teeth and, and small gapes. But all this makes sense when you realize that we've been processing food and particularly cooking food for probably over a million years, Hmm. which you can think of processing food and cooking it, chopping it up, marinating it, all of these ways in which societies have long processed food as a kind of external digestion. So we're breaking things down before we actually consume it, and that meant natural selection could stop investing so much in fancy digestive tissues like stomachs and colons and invest more in our brains. Um, so in this case, the uh, cultural technology, how to cook and process food, has shaped our, our physiology. That is fascinating. What else do we need? How else is this going to impact us? And, and from your learning and more and domestication of humans, and um, what do you see happening in the future? Or what else do we need to understand from your book? Well, I mean, if you're looking ahead, uh, you know, many of these things depend on, you know, whether current trends continue and how fast um, existing technologies spread. But one thing that is interesting to think about is the rates of cesarean sections have been increasing uh, dramatically across the world. And this means that, that babies who otherwise had a head too large to make it out of the womb uh, can now be born. Hmm. And there's, it's widely thought that there's, um, that there's a constraint on the ability of infants' heads to grow prior to birth because of the size of, the, of a woman's birth canal. And this actually may have constrained a selection pressure for us to have bigger brains that were better able to acquire cultural information and store all the know-how we need. But if culture allows us to, to get around that problem, as cesarean sections do, that may release the selection pressure and lead to humans with larger brains wow. and, and bigger heads that otherwise, and then eventually cesarean sections will be requisite because uh, most babies, I mean, you know, obviously we're looking way into the future. Right. And uh, it depends on current trends continuing, but that's one interesting thing to think about. Well, and that's also why you'd want to invest in, in larger hat companies that produce <laughs> larger hats. Yeah, although it might be a bit premature. To, to, <laughs> that's true. You know, Don't do it for about 6,000 years. Then start investing. You know, that is fascinating. Um, what, does, what does this do? I, and I guess, uh, so morality then would have also evolved, you're saying, through like domestication. Well, yeah. So, um, so would, will, will we become a more moral people? Yeah, so one of the things, the arguments that I make in the book is the way to think about, I mean, moral is a kind of loaded term. Yeah, it so is. Let me, let me reframe things a little bit. Is that... Um, Different societies are going to have different social norms, and some of those social norms are going to be about, say, sharing food or group cooperation or working together in house building or, say, working together and raiding other groups and driving them out of territory. Competition amongst groups is going to favor those social norms which best allow groups to to do that. Um, And so 
a lot of the evolution of how we treat others is going to be driven by this competition among groups and those with the, the, the social norms that allow you to best compete with other groups are going to spread at the expense of those that don't. Mm. One of the fun um, sort of cultural technologies that I discuss in the book and it's now been widely studied are ritual practices. So when people in communities do rituals, so they move in sync and they sing in sync and they do all the things that we think of as the modern components of ritual, it actually gives them a sense of solidarity. It binds them together. Um, and sometimes it makes people think of themselves as a single group. And experiments done by psychologists show that this actually makes people more cooperative. And you can actually see in the spread of hunter-gatherer groups in Australia that the groups with more powerful rituals that better would bind the group together and build links between different groups were spreading at the expense of groups who didn't have those kinds hmm. of rituals. So rituals could uh, – they, they, uh, they strengthen solidarity. They strengthen uh, community. Right. And, and, then, and therefore are, are – promoted more and last right. more enduring. Right, and they spread, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, many, so many human societies have rituals of some type or another mm -hmm. that, um, you know, have many of the same elements, yeah. because they're tapping aspects of our evolved psychology that help help us kind of be more groupish. Yeah, that's powerful. And um, what would you, how does this change your life, uh, Joe, when you, as a, just as a person, a human, what, what, what do you think of? What excites you about what you're learning? Well, one of the uh, things, like, if you're interested in being creative and um, developing new ideas, one of the things the collective brain points you towards is the importance of uh, interacting with people with diverse expertise who know lots of stuff about that, that you don't know about. Because it's through the recombination of different ideas that we're able to, to come up with new ideas and develop new ways of thinking. So focusing on recombination through building diverse social networks um, is something that, 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 that I think about that comes out of this work that I try to use in my own life. Yeah, that's powerful because then ideas that probably have not spent much time together can start to, to coalesce and right. grow. Right, and create new things. That's powerful. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Joe Henrik, thank you so much uh, for your insight. Um, and again, the book is The Secret of Our Success, How Culture is Driving Human Evolution, Domesticating Our Species, and Making Us Smarter by uh, Dr. Joseph Henrik. Thanks again, Joe. Okay, thanks, Matt. Great stuff. Uh, wow. Our heads are going to get bigger. That is crazy. Man, people are just smart. Cool. Welcome to Earth, folks. Welcome to Earth. 7,000 years to see a genetic change, an evolutionary genetic change. Minimum. Fast. Crazy. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. A coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Hey, welcome back, folks. It is, uh, because it's February 15th, it's my anniversary. 27 years of love. It's such a good thing. Thank you. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Marty. Yeah, appreciate you all being here today. But... Um, 
and, and it's amazing too because I do relationship coaching. So I've spent a long time uh, studying a bunch of stuff, trying to learn the best I could about how to make a relationship um, better. And one of the things that I found is the best place to ever practice it and learn it is just right there at home. It's uh, a lot of us have some myths, some things that we need to to learn when it comes about comes to our relationships and our marriages. And it's not like there's only one way to learn them or one thing to learn, but there's some pretty amazing ideas out there and research. Um, one of the first things that I've learned is, I mean, it really does, it matters who you marry, right? It matters the, the person you marry and it matters how into the marriage they are. Um, but it's not this whole myth about this soulmate, Idea. I don't believe that you um, necessarily have this one person that's out there that is the key to everything. And if you find this one person, you are set. Uh, in fact, a better paradigm might simply be that it, it's not about uh, the the exact person you marry that's going to be the key. It's it's how you are being married, right? It's it's what you bring to the marriage. It's the choices you're willing to make. Um, and it's a big lesson that I think all of us could learn that if I'm willing to just be committed and, and learn and grow and develop, I think in the end, a lot of really amazing things can happen to us. Another lesson I've learned in the 27 years is generally, you are always your biggest problem. I, I can spend my entire life fixating on my wife's mistakes and her problems and her things that she needs to change. But when it comes right down to it, it's it's really about how I am in the relationship. It's usually about me. It's about how I see my marriage. It's how I think about my partner. It's what I feel in the relationship. It's what I do and the behaviors that I bring. It's what I'm becoming in the marriage. And a lot of us bring some junk. We bring stuff from the past that we never have really dealt with, and then we take that junk, and instead of going and improving ourselves, we think that everyone else around us should change and should alter, and if they would just improve, and it becomes a very real fixation. If they would just improve, um, everything would be better. Another lesson I've learned just by working with a lot of couples as well is that there are no universal expectations in relationships. I mean, I've had people say, you know, no matter what, if a partner was unfaithful, you have to divorce the person. I've seen people that have gone through incredible problems and trials and infidelity and made it work. So don't ever assume that if there's been an infidelity, if there's been something that's gone on, don't assume that it means it has to be over or it has to end. There, people are very resilient, and relationships are actually incredibly resilient as well. And another great blessing I found in my own life um, and relationship is that it is actually the struggle, the daily struggle, that actually is what makes the marriage work. It's what makes it healthier. It's what makes it better. And so um, don't be afraid of the struggles. Don't be afraid of the hard times. In fact, maybe notice that those are the times that we can step up and make something really happen. Um, one other rule is that uh, this kind of stood out for me is, is the fact that when you change um, and are willing to adapt and adjust to another human being, who you are actually changes as well. 
So by changing and being will, willing to, to become selfless in a relationship, it makes you even more selfless. It makes you a different person. So every single act of love or charity or change goes about creating a different you. It's a process in 27 years, um, and I'm, I feel like I'm just barely starting to get it after 27 years. I'm getting finally that, man, if I would just change what I need to change, work on me, quit expecting the the major changes to come from my partner, um, start seeing the good and start changing, then I actually get better and stronger and more able. I, my integrity grows. My flexibility grows. And then I start to see the real miracle that can take place in a long-term relationship. So just some uh, basic coaching ideas that come from a 27-year marriage. It's not, it's not perfect. It's just it's just my marriage. Anyway, we'll keep the journey alive and keep uh, doing what we can to make life better for all of us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Let's wrap up this second hour of the show with a little uh, little empty news from Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Jeffrey. Earlier this week, we talked a little bit about how we're not criminals, but if we were, you know, this is how our minds would work, yeah, right? We're right. thinking of ways that we could get away with things. Yeah. So this didn't work. Police in Alaska's largest city say a man robbed a restaurant and apparently attempted to avoid being identified by authorities by burying his coat in fresh snow. Really? Didn't work in Fargo, and it doesn't work here either. Anchorage police Tuesday morning received a report of a Taco Bell robbery. The sus- And he uh, didn't say whether he ran for the border. Anyway, the suspect wore a black hooded jacket with a black towel covering his face. He claimed he had a gun, demanded money, and ran away. As officers responded, dispatchers took a call of a man uh, seen taking, out, taking off outerwear and burying it in snow three uh. blocks from the restaurant. Oh, come on. You got to venture out farther yeah, than no, that. Yeah. You got to go a mile at least. The clothing matched what the suspect had worn. Officers followed tracks in the snow and spotted a man several blocks away who was not dressed for temperatures in the low 20s. It's another thing he <laughs> uh, for, neglected to uh, realize. Police arrested the 34-year-old man. He faces charges including robbery and, uh, yeah. Sir, where poor are your use pants? Of, poor use of snow. Yeah, something's not right there. Something's not quite right there. What are you going to do? See, an icicle can be used. That's the perfect weapon. Yeah, you. I know where you're going. But uh, – uh, <laughs> Yeah. No. But, you know, trying to get away with, where your tracks can be seen and no, the be- cops notice that you're not dressed for the, the freezing weather. The best solution is don't do the crime. I guess that is when – when you come back to it, that's the real lesson here. Just don't do the crime and then you can keep your clothes on and then you don't have to hide anything and then you don't go to the pokey. Anyway, just some basic, basic you know, insights from the Dr. Macho. Doing what we can to help you live longer and stay warm. We'll be back next hour. More fun straight ahead. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry trying to make sense of uh, the news today. Sadness coming out of Florida as um, a shooting took place at a Florida high school. 17 people are dead. Um, another one of the just another shooter. Now we're learning more information. Apparently a tipster. Um, the FBI was warned about the alleged shooter. Um, and this is now getting into a lot of uh, controversy and other issues about guns, of course, about legislators, about the fact that we have one of these shootings actually much more regularly than anybody actually notices or, or pays attention to. They're happening almost daily. Because they're small. Because they're small. We some don't of these hear school shootings, there's been 18 since the beginning of the year in yeah. school. Some of them are just one person and it's a suicide in a school. Right. And, and it's so fe- that doesn't make headlines. It's February 15th and we've had 18 school shootings. So it tells you this is a big deal and we'll have hundreds of them a year of, sh- of mass shootings of more than four people mm-hmm. being mm. shot. So apparently a tipster FBI was warned about the alleged shooter. So we'll get into some information about that. Um, and then there's a lot of hero stories coming out of it, a lot of terror as these kids are running away from gunfire, bunkering down um, in their rooms, just hiding as SWAT then has to go through the entire building and, and clear the building. The alleged shooter also uh, just one year out of high school, I believe, then tried to sneak out acting like one of the other students. and He, he got several blocks away and they caught him in a neighborhood. There's video of that. Uh-huh. They just tackle him in someone's front yard. Unbelievable. That's he, why they have all the kids walk out with their hands up because they uh-huh. don't know who the shooter is. Yeah. And he was able to slip away with all those kids. Tragedy and not a lot you can say. Uh, again – We've we've talked about this a lot on the show with past shootings as well. You want to extend your prayers and your wishes, but more still needs to be done, right? It's not enough to make it a prayer thing alone. It's got to be acted on somehow. But it's just tragedy. And, and, and really, I, I don't think it's just a tragedy just for the victims. I think it's a tragedy for our country that we can't solve a problem that's this serious, that's impacting something as important as our children, and instead we are just going to fall back into our typical pattern of fighting over the same thing. So everybody, let's let's do something different on this one. Push, push your legislators and push your own self to think differently about uh, about what's going on here. It's not just a gun issue. It's not just a mental health issue. It's not just a bullying issue. It's there's a lot of complexity to this thing, and um, let's not play the game the way we've played it every other time we've had a shooting. Let's also get to the headlines, Terry. What other uh, pieces of information do we need to know? What else should we be focused on? There's reports that the uh, FBI was alerted to the shooter. He had commented on some YouTube videos, and I, I don't know how seriously you take those. Yeah. But, I mean, in the aftermath, you look at it like, aha, there's something knew, they should have right? done. But in before that, what do you do? Florida Governor uh, Florida Governor Scott says he will speak with state leaders about making sure individuals with mental illness do not touch a gun. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier in, in the break. Just how do you... How do you gauge whether someone reaches a threshold of mental illness that they do not deserve a gun, but maybe they have just a little bit right. that maybe they can have one? Well, What's the... And there's... There's obvious people that shouldn't have a gun, okay? Right. Fine. There's also uh, other people that are on the verge of having an episode that weren't detected, and then they have an episode, and in the episode, they have a gun. 
Right. So you're never going to get this right. Because people that don't have mental health, that have mental health clearance, have guns, and then they have a break or an episode that then causes them to go do something, right? I mean, suicides are mental health issues as well. And there's no way to stop everybody from harming themselves. And then it's not a gun issue either. Get rid of all the guns in the world. Mm -hmm. And then it's just another way of hurting somebody. But again, we are one of the only countries... Where this happens, this happens at this rate. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut took to the Senate floor on Wednesday afternoon with the intended purpose of discussing immigration legislation. Instead, he took a moment to castigate his Senate colleagues for having failed to legislate stricter gun laws as reports emerged of the mass shooting in Florida at the school. He goes, turn on your televisions right now. You're going to see scenes of children running for their lives. Murphy, who dealt with the Newtown massacre firsthand, what looks to be the 18th school shooting in this country, and we have not even hit March. Let me get just note once again for my colleagues, this happens nowhere else other than the United States. It only happens here, not because of coincidence, not because of bad luck, but because of consequence of our, as he's talking about Congress, yeah. they're in action. Broward County Mayor Beam uh, Fur talking with CNN, reports came out talking about the shooter. He didn't have a lot of friends. He had some behavioral issues. He was expelled from the high school, and he came back. And he says, we try to keep our eyes out for those kids who aren't connected. Most teachers try to steer them towards some kind of connections, a club, an activity, yeah. something. In this case, we didn't find a way to connect with this kid. Yeah. That was mm. his comments yesterday. And it's interesting, too. Um, so is that a mental health issue? Or is that a social health issue? Mm. Are we now? I mean, now we have a lot of people that don't connect. Mm. We have a lot of ways that people can slip through cracks today. I mean, we have we have people that can go undetected simply because they were homeschooled and nobody knew they were even in a system. Right. So you need systems, too. I mean, this is why it does take a village to raise a child. In other news, uh, Veterans Affairs Secretary David J. Sulkin's chief of staff doctored an email and lied in order to have the federal agency pay for uh, Shuckland and his wife's 10-day trip to Europe last summer. This according to the uh, Veterans Administration's ins- Inspector General. Hmm. Right, So they doctored emails to pay for a 10-day trip to Europe for him and his wife. Wow. Uh, Vivica Wright Simpson, the number three VA official, manipulated language in an email to, a- to an aide to make it seem like the director was receiving an award from the Danish government and used that as an excuse for the agency to pay for his wife's travel, totaling more than $4,300 in flight costs. The VA released a statement to the Washington Post earlier this year saying its ethics council reviewed and approved the Europe trip and the Wimbledon attendance... Oh yeah, tennis tournament. A statement the uh, the IG the investigator later found to be misleading. Uh, the director is now the fifth Trump cabinet member to have been caught up in travel related ethics scandals. There's one going on with the EPA director oh, as we wow. speak, and he, he's taken another trip this week uh. that cost uh, like two thousand dollars. Which, if you flew just a normal person getting a ticket, would have been a couple hundred. Yeah, so just things Tra- like that. Yeah, travels. Ah, it's hard to get right. There's been someone fired. One of the cabinet members fired over this. I mean, this is an ongoing thing where it seems like, are we we doing the best to limit how much money government is spending? Probably not. Probably Hmm. not. America's well-being took a serious hit in 2017. Live science reports. Gallup Share Care has been conducting a well-being poll of U.S. residents for a decade. And for the first time ever, no state's well-being increased from the previous year. 
In fact, 21 states saw their well-being decline between 2016 and 2017, which is a record. Overall, the U.S. well-being score dropped from 62.1, that's on a scale of 100, in 2016 to 61.5, so it went backwards. Yeah. The size of the year-over-year drop was another record. The South and West saw the biggest declines in well-being, with residents reporting more worrying, less positive energy from others, and more diagnosis of depression. Oh, boy. Our well-being. We're sliding. Not good. So. It's kind of depressing. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that to us. No problem. Here's some news you may not have known about. I'm sure not. Frank Sinatra crooned about blue skies, but it turns out old blue eyes was really old brown eyes. What? It turns out all human eyes are actually brown, or at least various shades of brown. It all comes down to the melanin. And Mel- how much melanin? Melanin yeah. that's in your eyes, and how much of it of the pigment we have in our eyes reports CNN. Blue eyes have the least amount of melanin, which explains why brown-eyed newborns can appear to have blue eyes as their melanin forms, darkening the iris. Everyone has melanin in their iris of their eye. There's really only this one type of pigment, says Dr. Gary Hetling. Melanin levels also determine our skin and hair color. While dark brown uh, in color, melanin absorbs different amounts of light. The more light absorbed, the less light is reflected out, and the browner the iris appears. Reflected light is what we see when we gaze into someone's eyes. Oh, is that what we see? So all eyes are brown, or we're all colorblind? All eyes are brown. What you're seeing is the level of light reflected off the iris. Blue eyes reflect more light at a shorter wavelength of the visible color spectrum. If you think your sweetheart's hazel eyes appear amber in the sunset, you're not wrong. There's less light. They become a little darker. Oh, that's Mm. interesting. I thought it was always what you were wearing. Eye color can indeed change depending on the light, and the hazel and green eyes are in the middle of the spectrum. So they have a chance of going darker. I think that's my I have green eyes, I think. My wife thinks this is fake fake news. news. Does she? She has blue eyes. She goes, my eyes are blue. I go, no, they're brown. You're just reflecting more light. She's so like, how did your mm. Valentine's Day go then with this conversation? Hey, blue eyes. This happened it's brown several eyes. weeks ago. Quit calling me blue eyes. Wow. So, that's interesting news. Yeah. So everyone's eyes are brown. They just have different levels of melanin, which reflects light differently. And that's what gives you the color. I thought like I thought you were going to tell us he was wearing those um, contact lenses that changed mm. his eye color. No. See, I take issue with this because I've been told I have He's the questioning science. Huh? I have Go the ahead. prettiest brown eyes ever. Your eyes aren't brown. But now, if everybody's in the same category as me, how can I compete with everybody? You can, especially my green brown eyes. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about this. Well, let it soak in. I got some more news for you. How many children do you have, Jeffrey? Three. Three. Um, apparently, if you're going to raise a child uh, born in 2015 to uh, to 18, it's going to cost you two hundred and thirty three thousand six hundred and ten dollars. And that's not counting the cost of college. Duh. So. It's going to cost you easily a quarter of a million dollars to get your kid into college and, you know, through her generals. They're all going to BYU. Yeah. So it'll cost a little less. <laughs> but a great education nonetheless. Yeah. So apparently it's – Or just pay for it yourself. Why do the parents have to pay for it? I know. If you want – I paid for mine. Uh, college is going to be extra. Private school would be about forty-five grand. Oof. 
Uh, public school would be about $20,000. See, but yesterday you just talked about how we don't really need to go to college anymore. Yeah. We don't need that education. Yeah. You may not. I mean, maybe this is what you're going to do. Now, this is also uh, – you'll spend on your child the $233,000 comes down to about tw- – 29% is on housing, 18% on food, 15% on transportation, 6% on clothing, 9% on health care. I'm going to buy them a truck – and they can just live in the truck. I bought my kids a truck, and they do live in the truck. Really? Yeah, down by the river. Hmm. Actually, it was a van, yeah, it I believe. Be a van and well, some government cheese or something. We couldn't afford a van. Okay, okay. so way to bring that up. <laughs> uh, it used to be in the 1960s, it would cost $200,000 on average. Now you're up to about $233,000. Now, so now, you're saying I should have another kid? No. What I'm saying is um, if, if your child is average, it's 233. If they're below average, it's probably less than that. What if they're above average, which every parent believes their child is, right? Yeah. Well, then it's going to cost you more. Ugh. This is why you've like, – like our first child, we put her in like competitive soccer, everything, tennis. Mm-hmm. We paid a lot for her. The last kid, the minute he started walking, we just started tipping him over. Just pushed him right back down <laughs> because we didn't want him to excel, you know. See, but Held him to back me, this just means I need to have more kids so that I can get more tax credits mm-hmm. and get more money back mm-hmm. from the government. I think you're missing the point. Um, no matter how much government money you get back, you still have to spend a lot of money going forward. But it's an investment. You got to spend money to get money, right? So I'm going to make money on these kids, right? Eventually, eventually but, I'll well, make are money you like on a them. Ba- it's like you're not a baby broker. Well, eventually I'll make money on them because mm. eventually they'll be a doctor or a lawyer or and then what? An astronaut. Then the, they'll take care of me when I'm older. Uh, see, that's I think the big assumption. I think it depends too. Or what if they're like, I want to do what my dad does. I want to work in radio. So you're not going to no, give no, no. They will not. They will not be doing that. Like, you be quiet. I will disown you. <laughs> you are not. You're gonna wash your mouth out with soap. What are you radio. doing? That is. <laughs> oh, you make me so mad. Um, that's be careful because it's you, every child you have, you got to raise them. They're cute. They're cuddly, but they need your attention. They need your focus, and they need about two hundred thirty grand. Yeah, they need my money. See, that's one of the problems with kids is they get big. Oh yeah, it's like they don't. They never stop. Well, apparently they stop, but at that point, it, they should be adults. They're not even your problem anymore. Yeah. So the whole time they're there, you constantly have to get them more things. I have I have five boys, and they were a lot easier to feed. You know, ten years ago. You know what though? You you mentioned food. My that's not where the money's going to come from. Or it's not going to go toward food because my kids don't eat. No, but yours are girls. Well, Stas isn't. But um, you're you're going to be paying for weddings. Weddings are expensive. See, I don't even think about that. That my wife said that one day when he goes, "When we pay for our daughter's wedding, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! What are you talking about?" Yeah, I, I could see you saying, "I'm not paying for your wedding. It's not my wedding." <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting married. <laughs> it's. So I don't want to discourage anybody, but the, and by the way, I I guarantee you I could raise a kid for under two hundred thirty three thousand dollars. Oh yeah, I don't believe that number. Hmm. I don't believe it's more. Und- I think under two hundred. Yeah. Under one fifty. Oh yeah, hand me downs. Okay. Yeah. 
Now, you, is this is this nationwide or is this by state? Because what if you took it's them? a U.S. average for middle Ugh. income families. So if you're a higher income family, you're probably spending more. Can we move to Mexico? Will that help? Sure, but mm. then it would be in pesos, not dollars. And I don't want to bother with the conversions. So it's a it's a big it, it's it's a big thing. But uh, by the way, in in the Midwest, it costs less than um, in the urban West. Hmm. The urban northeast costs so, a lot more. Living, living, in, living in cities is more expensive, is what you're yeah. saying. Uh-huh. Interesting. The urban south is, uh, but the 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 Midwest is the cheapest place to raise your child because you know it's just cornfield. <laughs> right. You know, that's just exactly, feed them that's corn. Exactly why they'll just get yeah. fed just with corn. Take, go get some corn, kids. It's just growing in the backyard. Go get it. Everything's in corn. Our corn's in everything anyway. So yeah. just yeah. it's a basic building block of life. Go straight to the source. It's, it really is a um, corn and peanuts. But don't let it if discourage you. Build you. it; they will come. That was in a movie. I didn't did know you hear that? I did. I couldn't tell if that was me or no, no, no. That was Jeff. That was weird. No, I mean he quoted a movie. That's pretty common. That's a good point. Yeah. He defaulted right into movie dumb. Mm. Um, not not that it was dumb. Ooh, it but, was on point. It but you totally said on. it, so that, that might have been Freudian. It came from a cornfield. Come on. Um, so uh, today's my anniversary. I've mentioned that, and I'm I'm kind of looking for something to do for my anniversary. You just did something last night. I know that was for um, Valentine's Day. See, that's why you need to do one's important, one's a day. We just sort of hang out and acknowledge each other's existence. That's what my wife and I do. We're like, hey, how you doing? But Valentine's this is our twenty seventh anniversary. Well, yeah, I but mean, that's an odd number. So there's not really a lot of obligation to do anything big. Oh, really? you got to wait until the landmark years, like 30. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make sense. See, I, on the other hand, will be celebrating our – well, we will be celebrating our 10th anniversary. <laughs> oh, boy. Jeff will. His wife will be questioning the anniversary. 10th anniversary. Do you know what you're supposed to give on the 27th year? What, uh, the, what uh, the gift is? A gold-encrusted boot. Uh, what no. is it? Sculptures. Mm. Oh, boy. Now, do you have to make them? I don't know. I haven't. I'm kind of behind the gun. Maybe you should recreate the scene in Ghost where you make pottery or make a sculpture together. Oh, look at that! Didn't she die? Didn't one of them die? He died. He died, and then he died in real life. Yeah, I'm not. Which made it. I don't want to recreate any of that. Okay, well, I just don't. I mean, it could be taboo. That's her best idea. So, sculpture. You're on your own. (laughs) Well, just go to go to go to a, a nursery. Go to a gardening shop. Yeah. They'll have a sculpture of like a gnome and just bring that home. Bring her a garden gnome. You're bring, done. Bring home the gnome. You and then, and then take her to see Sherlock Gnomes that's coming out. Have a themed day. Yeah. No? I don't know. Just, would, would she be? Would she enjoy uh, a garden I gnome? I don't know what she'd do with a gnome. They always seem to be having fun on those Travelocity commercials. Is that the commercials? I yeah. think it is. Where they're just, you know, going around the world. <laughs> Look, honey, I got you a garden gnome sculpture. I don't you, know that that would be called a sculpture. You could drive it around to some of her favorite places and put the gnome in front of it and take pictures of it and then give her kind of a, a photo book along with the gnome. Ah. You could stretch Here's, it out, use it for Christmas, have the gnome on the shelf instead of the elf on the shelf. The perfect gift. It just keeps on giving. What's creepier, a gnome or an elf? Hey, um, you guys, never mind. <laughs> I'll figure it out. <laughs> okay, we're trying to help. Never mind. You know what? I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't have even asked. All right. We tried. I'll, fig, I'll figure it out. <laughs> it's the year of the sculpture.
Hmm. Would she laugh if you brought home a garden gnome? Yeah, for about a second. But it wouldn't be worth the, the she, effort. She, and then she would say, oh, you were serious. Yeah. Okay. Then, then she'll say, "Why, while you were at Home Depot <laughs> buying the gnome, why didn't you buy more light bulbs for the house? Oh, wow. Couples, manic, Manny Petty, why don't you do that? You know what? I'm just going to do it myself. I'll just figure it out myself. Not on the air. Just so we have a surprise left. But it won't be a Manny Petty and it won't be a gnome. It's going to be a sculpture of me working out. Ah. Pressing the iron. Oh, love, ain't it great? We will continue the journey straight ahead. Uh, what uh, to say and what not to say in your marriage. probably learned on the playground as a kid to say sticks and stones can break my bones but words can never hurt me but if you're married or have ever been in a relationship you know that that's far from the truth words are a huge tool in making and shaping a relationship and it's important to know how to use them properly a few months ago i interviewed arlene pelicane author of 31 days to becoming a happy mom and i asked her to teach us uh, what and what not to say in our marriage to build a happy home i began the interview asking and and talking to her about the way that our spouse uh, or partner interprets what we say and how that becomes very important yes the way it is said you know if, if a husband comes home and says what have you been doing all day yeah. you know to his wife like, okay that was a problem but you know if he comes home and says hey honey tell me about your day what have you been up to that's a lot different totally like, okay i did this i did this so yes the way you say things and the way it's interpreted is very important okay talk to us teach us some of the tips uh what are yeah. some phrases that that if we're not careful you know they'll lead us down a road to death that's right you want to avoid those you always and you never type of statements you know i just heard my daughter she's in second grade say to our junior high son you always make me feel bad you know mm. And I said to her, Lucy, does Ethan always make you feel bad or just, you know, sometimes? You know, there are many times that he's very nice to you. And we have to, in the same way, a seven-year-old's got to check, you know, okay, is this really true what I'm saying? Right. That when we say, you always do such and such, you never have done this for me. And think about it, you know, wait a minute, that's really not true. And even just cleaning up our language to say, you know, you sometimes do this, that feels a lot better than you always are like this and you never, you know, so just cleaning up that always, never, just kick those to the curb and say, you know, sometimes I feel that you X, Y, and Z. Mm. And that's going to start that conversation a whole lot better. Something for your for you husbands not to say as you come home, when's dinner going to be done? Right. Dinner, as you like sit on the couch and you like open up the paper. Yeah. <laughs> you don't don't yeah. want to do that. Woman? Because, right. Because, <laughs> when's it going to be ready? <laughs> You know, so so in that sense, husbands are more like, hey, when's dinner going to be done? And is there anything I can do to mm. help you? You know, and that's of course, so good. something like that's going to be so much better. And your wife may say, you know, honey, I'm good. But, you know, 20 minutes. And that's so much better than, hey, when's dinner going to be done? And you're like sitting there. 
So even a small habit like that that you change daily will really help your communication in your marriage, even by showing. And you might not feel husband like helping your wife. Right. You're hoping. Right. She says nothing, dear. You're hoping. But just that willingness to say, you know what, if you did need help, I actually would help you. You know, that's huge to a woman. She just loves that, you know. And then for us wives, when we can tell our husbands don't want to talk, like we say something and they're just like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Like, leave them alone. Don't go in there and keep asking questions. Well, tell me more about your day, dear. It was great. What was great about it? I don't know. <laughs> like, just leave the poor man alone, <laughs> you know. And just let him be. A lot of times I hear that when men come home from work, they just like a few minutes to unwind. They just like a little zone where sure. it's not like I walked in the door and all these questions came. So give your husband that courtesy of saying, you know what, I can leave you alone for a little bit. And then later in the evening, you can ask and say, you know, honey, there's a few things I want to talk about. Would you be willing to, is this a good time? Can you use and your then, words? That's what it's saying. Yeah, don't don't say that either. Some of this is just simply um, we 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 seem to have different agendas, different goals when we're communicating. Yeah. It's almost like she's communicating to bond in that moment, and he's right. trying to decompress, and yeah. so talking would stress him out more. Um, and it's it's almost like when he's asking about dinner, he might be going for information. Hey, right. so when should I, when should I plan on eating? It's just kind yeah. of very technical, but it's so yeah. I guess part of this is we have to go deeper than the words, right, and understand what the intent is. You know, and there's this uh, a thing about successful couples is they assume the best about each other. So if one of them makes this verbal faux pas, they don't go like, "Oh, see, I knew you were gonna." They mm. say, "You know what? You've probably had a hard day, and you probably didn't really mean that." So honestly, if you go to bat for your spouse and you feel like, man, I'm the only one doing this, like the other one doesn't think the best of me, it is okay. Like be the person who goes first and says, I'm going to keep assuming the best about you. And before long, you'll see that the best will start rising out of your spouse more and more. I yeah, think. I think that's true. Totally true. In your, um, in your article, Say This, Not That in Your Marriage, you talk about two ideas that that can kind of help us transcend all of this this misinformation, this misunderstanding yeah. that goes on. What are those two ideas? Yes, they are patience and perspective. To have patience for your spouse. You know, many times we're so impatient, right? Why can't you get this right? Or how many times have I told you this? Or haven't we been down this road before? And we become impatient. But whenever I feel that way towards my husband, James, I like to turn it around in my mind and think, you know, there are many times I have dropped the ball and lots of times where I've had to learn the same lesson over and over again. And you know what? The same level of patience I want meted out to me, like I I should give to you. And one phrase that I like to do, because sometimes, you know, my husband, James, is very, he's very funny. He's not a shy man. He's (laughs) a man that will tell you, like, here's what we need to do and we're starting tomorrow, you know, like after after Thanksgiving, Christmas, it'll be like, okay, padlock on the refrigerator. We're starting to work out. Let's do this thing. You know, he's totally no nonsense. Let's go. And so sometimes I'll think, you are so difficult to live with. You know, like mm-hmm. what woman would allow her husband to, to do these kinds of things in the kitchen or whatever? Right. And so I can go down this trail of you are so hard to live with. And then everything he does, I'm like, oh, yeah, see, hard to live with. Yep, there it is. Hard to live More with. evidence. There it is. Yep. So what I have done is that patience that says, you know what, I'm not so perfect either, and I'm not that easy to live with either. 
And instead of saying that, I say, you know what, it is easy to be married to you. And I think of ways why it's easy to be married of you. You provide for us. You bring leadership to the family. You tell me you love me every day. You put little notes in my in my jeans. Like you do stuff like this, and it's really easy to be married to you. So I turn that around, and it helps me to be more patient towards him because I'm speaking in my mind differently about him. And you know, when you huff and puff, and you say, "I don't like my spouse very much right now." You know what? They probably don't like you either. Right. <laughs> in that moment, right? We're even. So That's right. We're even. So having that patience, and you know. Naturally, we are not patient. We're selfish. We're impatient. We want things faster in a hurry. And so it's asking God, God, give me patience. Let that love come into my heart for my spouse and give me patience that I don't naturally have. And I believe God answers those kinds of prayers. Mm, I do, too. In fact, um, I, I heard Eckhart Tolle say something once about use your relationships as a spiritual practice. So see the relationship as a way to grow your spirituality. Because they're the test right oh, there every day. They're the you, ultimate test. Are you test. really loving? Right. Are you really kind? That's right. I mean, when you think about it, there's probably no one on earth that you're more vulnerable with or should be able to be. Uh, it's, it is it is a spiritual, just like you're vulnerable to your God in your prayers, you're vulnerable right. to your spouse. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. why patience and perspective matters. I mean, the, like you're saying, if my perspective is immediately a negative one, then it doesn't matter because every every thought or interpretation down the row will just be negative, self-fulfilling. Right. I have a wonderful mentor named Pam Farrell, and she and her husband, Bill, have written many books. One of them is called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. It's about how men process things in boxes one at a time, and women are like all over the place. And Pam was so sick of him leaving his coffee mugs everywhere. Like they'd be in the garage, in the kitchen, in the bedroom, yeah. in the office, like everywhere. And she's just like, how can this man not find the kitchen? Like, how is this possible? <laughs> and she'd collect all these cups and put them in the dishwasher. And one day it dawned on her, you know what? My poor husband has to drink all this coffee to keep up with me because she's like super go, 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 go. And she doesn't need to drop a coffee to go, go, go. And so she realized, you know what? He drinks all this. So he can stay stay up with me. And instead of being unhappy about this, every time I put this coffee cup away, I'm going to say, God, thank you for this coffee-loving man who does so much to stay up with me. That is great. And so now, all of a sudden, her perspective changed, right? And as she's doing this, now something that would have been a bother, she's turned it into a blessing. Like, hey, how can I spin this? What's the perspective? I have an aunt. She's uh, She just turned 70. And she's a few years shy of 50 years um, being married, and she just lost her husband about Mm. a month ago. And I just think of that perspective, right, of there will come a day that perhaps you won't have your spouse next to you. And I think if we realize that, we would so much more be patient with them, treasure them, use our words so much better with them. If we realize that perspective of, hey, you know what, tomorrow is not promised to us, and we should really enjoy one another's company today. Mm, That is... That I mean, think of that. That immediately yeah. gives us the right perspective, and then patience and spirit fills our heart. We're speaking with Arlene Pelican um, from ArlenePelican.com, uh, along with her new, um, uh, I mean, another book that she wrote with Dr. Gary Chapman about um, social, I'm trying to find it, Arlene, growing up social, raising relational kids in a screen-driven world. You've written so many books. It's fun. I'm enjoying myself. You're, you're doing it. You're keeping it up. And today we're talking about uh, marriage, how to, what to say, what not to say in your marriage. What are some other tips you give us that, that will help us 
keep the peace, but still connect. Yeah. And I think it's that whole idea of in, in thinking of the other person, as we talked about earlier, thinking the best of them. And then you can also ask this question, will this matter tomorrow? Like whatever it is that's bugging you or you're arguing about, will this matter tomorrow? And if it does matter tomorrow, then you do need to talk about mm. it. So just by saying we want positive communication, that doesn't mean the absence of conflict. That just means conflict that is respect-based, that is love-based, you know. Right. And so it's this whole idea of, okay, will this matter tomorrow? And if it doesn't matter tomorrow, then you know what? Let us slide down your back and it's over and continue with your life and be flexible. But if it does then it's like, okay, I will do this. I remember we were going to the rodeo once. I live here in Southern California, and there's a rodeo about 45 minutes away. And we're pelicanes, which means we're frugal, and we pack all our food with us. <laughs> three kids. So we've yeah. been carrying all this food in. Well, at the gate, they say, okay, you see these people, and they're tossing their food, right? So they're checking it at the gate, and they're saying, no outside food, no outside drink, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm thinking, okay, I'm a rules follower, so I'm just like going to chuck all this stuff in the trash. Well, James comes storming behind me. He retrieves from the trash our Ziploc bag of apples. <laughs> he says to the kids, get out of line. Everybody start eating. Start eating apples. <laughs> Eat it now. So everybody's eating. And he's so upset at me. Like, why would you throw away perfectly good food? And then I say to him, this is, like, extremely embarrassing. We just, like, pulled out food from the garbage. <laughs> Trash. Not spend a few dollars and like, go get something to eat. And as we're sitting, waiting for the horses and all this stuff, I'm kind of, like, steaming. Like, this is ridiculous. But then I ask myself this question, right? Yeah. Will this matter tomorrow? It's like, you know what? This is not going to matter tomorrow. This is not this big marriage deal breaker. Right. It's actually kind of, it's actually kind of funny. Well, so it, if we can oh, get huge. there sooner, like, will this matter tomorrow? And you know what? This is actually kind of funny. That's a good, that's a great place to be able to get to. And the sooner you can get there, the, the more uh, you'll have a more relaxed and positive communication style with your spouse. And that's a great yeah. example of you. You're the one that changed because you could have sat there and stewed and stayed in your story and been embarrassed, but you, okay. you thought yourself out of it. Yes. And that not that empowering? That yeah. As a husband, as a wife, you don't have to be stuck there. Everyone yeah. else has moved on. They're all fine. <laughs> right. That's sitting there. And so that you can, you can learn how to think better, and it will make you relate better. That's great. And then yeah. if you're calmer and you get your head in the right place, you might have more influence on your partner to say, you know, we, it seems like we both kind of were off there. I should have probably conferred yeah. with you about what I was going to do. You probably shouldn't have dumpster dived and... And then made this huge scene, and then I sh- I should have forgiven you faster, and blah, blah, blah. we could yeah. we could always own more of the problem, can't we? We can. You know, so many times you'll hear that someone will come into a counseling office and they'll say, "Okay, here's a circle. How much of this circle is your responsibility, and how much of your this circle is your spouse's responsibility?" You know, and most people are like, "Oh, it's all his fault. The whole circle's his. Right. <laughs> the, the whole circle's hers." You know. So true. And I think that first step is, you know what? A lot of that circle is mine. Oh yeah. <laughs> the more you take ownership of it, the sooner you can start fixing it up. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up, Arlene, um, the two th- points you have been drilling in our heads is patience and perspective. If there was one thing that uh, that you see quickly can help us gain patience, um, perspective seems like it might be asking that question, What will this matter tomorrow? What is the one yeah. thing that brings patience immediately in? 
I think it is that quick prayer that says, God, give me patience. God, make me a more patient person. And the humorous thing about that is what will happen then in your life, you'll start having all these things happen to test that prayer. Right. <laughs> because you gain the patience by having tests and experiencing it and giving out patience. But I think that quick prayer, God, give me patience, help me, help me have patience with that person. And this idea of, hey, you know what, I'm not a perfect person either. I think when we approach our relationships with humility, especially with our spouse, and we say, I'm willing to learn here, and I might be wrong here, that will help you be more patient with them, and they will be infinitely more patient with you instead of you coming in there with this proud, well, certainly I couldn't be wrong, and there's nothing I could learn about, you know, I, I know everything. Yeah. It's really sweet. I'll have people come by my book table, and they'll look, 31 Days to a Happy Husband, and I'll have some women that say, oh, I've been married for 50 years. <laughs> you know what, dear, there's always something I can learn, and they get the book. Oh, and then two minutes yeah. later, a woman will come, and she'll be like, if I've been married for 16 years, if that man ain't happy by now, he'll never be happy. You know, she walks right. away. I think that right. wouldn't help her anyway. Right. And it's this idea of patience, of humility, of saying, I have something to learn. I haven't learned it all. And I want to be patient with myself, and I want to be patient with my spouse. Beautiful. Arlene Pelican's her name. Thank you so much, Arlene. Really, truly, uh, words of wisdom. Go check out the website, ArlenePelican.com, and uh, you can check out all of her books, 31 Days to Becoming a Happy Husband, a Happy Wife. Wonderful tools for all of us. Folks, relationships matter. And uh, many, many times you are in the driver's seat. You are the key, um, even if it's a two-way problem. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. See what's coming up on their show today. Stick with us. Time to head down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, Jerem and Jason, and find out what's coming up on their show. Hello, gentlemen. What up? What up, doctor? What up, globe trotters? <laughs> we would be the Washington Generals to your <laughs> globe trotters. Yes, you would. Because I, uh, yeah, I haven't seen those guys forever. Those that does that not bring back memories? Everybody's been to a globe trotter game. I've never been to. A globe I've never been. Game. Haven't you? No, where? Hold on. My fondest globetrotter memories are watching them like on uh, like Gilligan's Island, and uh, and then the uh, Scooby Doo. Yeah, those were those were that's that's as close to the globetrotters as I've ever uh, didn't been. didn't you ever wonder why the how the globetrotters could get there, but none of them were smart enough to get off the island with the globetrotters. Everybody, I mean, like everybody found the island. Yeah, and but let's be honest. If the people on the island had been a little more uh, appealing to everyone else, maybe yeah. they wouldn't have all tried to get away from them. Uh, see, that's that's nobody the thing. brings that part up. No, uh-uh. this is this is why Darwin may have had a point, right? <laughs> I mean, some people deserve to be on a deserted island and never get off. Well, I mean, let's be honest too. I mean, it's the old adage. I mean, you can you can have you know, like build a radio out of coconuts, but you can't build a boat. I mean, <laughs> what on. are you doing? Hold on, is that an old adage? Sure, why not? I think <laughs> that, Socrates said that. I think it was. Socrates. <laughs> Socrates. You can build a radio out of coconuts, but you can't get it off an island. You get a boat? Yeah, you, you can't get, build a boat. create a flare? I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think one of the problems is there was just a lot of, um, there was a lot of romance on that island. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
I think I think the movie no, star. What do you mean? I think the movie star Ginger was that her name? Ginger and Marianne. I always, by the way, if okay, let's go there. Um, I always had a crush on Marianne. I always felt like Ginger was too much of a woman for me. I wanted Marianne as a date. If I was Gilligan, is what I was thinking. Mary Marianne was the one I had the crush on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jerem, you're quiet. You must have been um, either a Mrs. Howell or or um, or uh, maybe a ginger. You answer? Why are you not participating in this conversation? I'm not conversation? crazy familiar with the program. I've, I've seen it, but this is the age difference. <laughs> oh, it's the youngster. Oh, let, hey, yeah. I'm too young let to me, remember that. Let, let me say I this. I don't claim to be young. I'm going to say one line, and I want you to just tell me if this resonates with you. Lovey... Just lovey. Does that do anything for you, Jerem? No. Okay. That's what Mr. Howell would call Mrs. Howell. Yeah. Thurston oh. Howell III. Fender. He was a millionaire. Now there's like, like everybody's a millionaire on yeah. these days. Right. You know what I mean? It's not like, now you'd have to call him a billionaire. Right. For it to, to make, like mean anything. Yeah. Or an oligarch <laughs> from Russia. <laughs> Something like that. Hey, um, I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, I mean... I don't know if you, I'm a big sports guy, but um, it's it's uh, it's the All Star Weekend. It is, tis, and BYU's down there. Oh, are they playing at Malibu or in Malibu How against Pepperdine, and then at San Diego? That's a good little trip. Yeah. So, um, are you guys excited for the All Star Weekend? And does the the, the way they put this, the game together by choosing captains has that changed a little bit of the fun of this? We'll see if it does. What do I'm you think? I'm not that excited. Like it's. There's no defense, so it's not that. Yeah, there's. It's not actually an actual game till the fourth quarter. Then it kind of tightens up, and people start actually playing. The first three quarters, it's all about showcasing yourself and high flying dunks and alley oops and that kind. Yeah. There's zero defense. I like the dunk contest Saturday night. That's I like cool. The, watching the highlights. You know? you, were you ever in a dunk contest? On a seven foot rim at Harmony Elementary School in 1995. <laughs> It was six feet tall. Whoa, 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 whoa. You were in elementary school in 95? We don't... Oh, my God. No yeah, wonder you don't... That's why I don't understand the Gilligan's, Gilligan's Island. Island references. No, but I, I, I love uh, NBA. I'm a huge NBA guy. So I of all the all-star games, that, that's definitely the near be- the top for yeah, me. Yeah, it's the best um, I think the one that's the most like an actual game is Major League Baseball's all-star game. Yeah. Because you can't really... I mean, baseball is baseball. You can't really... I mean, you A pitch is not just throwing... <laughs> Uh, fastballs down the middle yeah. to be hit. Yeah, right. so no. it, it, it's mostly like a game, but I love the NBA All-Star game. Plus this year, uh, you've got uh, Utah Jazz rookie Phenom, future rookie of the year, mm. Donovan Mitchell. Yes! Future NBA MVP. That's right, that's right. Future Hall of Famer, Donald, yes. Donovan Mitchell, uh, in the dunk contest. So, And then in the uh, Rising Stars Challenge on Friday night. So yeah, there's a lot that's uh, locally to be tuning in for. Absolutely. Plus, I just think it's it's just a great break for everybody. There's a lot going on in Southern California. Not only the All-Star game, and as, as Jerem mentioned, BYU basketball is down in that area. Yeah. BYU baseball is in Southern California to take on Northridge. Ooh. You've got the BYU Swim and Dive Championships, I believe, is in L.A. Man. There's a lot of stuff. What are you guys doing here? <laughs> Wishing we were in L.A. <laughs> Holding down the fort. <laughs> Somebody's got to watch the kids. Hey, um, talk about your show. I mean, I know you work on it all night long, and then you come out of your hole about, uh, I don't know, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, ready to deliver. What's on the show? Today we're going to talk about BYU and Pepperdine. Will the Cougars snap the four-game losing streak in that gym? Amazingly, BYU's lost four in a row to yeah. Pepperdine. 
BYU 10.5-point fave. Will they snap the streak? We'll talk to Gregor Bell from near Malibu, as well as Jackson Emery, his take on whether the Cougars are actually better than last year. Hmm. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's a hoops day. It is a, it's an all-hoops Ball night. Day. Yeah, it's a ball night. Ball and day, hey, ball and, night. And Jerem... <laughs> Jerem gets to uh, gets to call the uh, the women's game. BYU <gasps> women hosting Pepperdine tonight. Uh, Jerem and Kristen on the call. How BYU cool! Double header on uh, the BYU TV. That's right. That's a that's excellent. Have you been practicing? No. Okay, just checking. Because <laughs> I heard I I walked in the restroom and I heard I saw you in front of the mirror, and you were practicing and you stopped something. I didn't. You, I I thought you were trying to psych yourself up or maybe I thought you were doing play by play or something. You got it. You got to pace myself. Yeah. Same with Jason. He's doing the pregame for radio tonight. How awesome! Oh, oh and uh, men's volleyball is in Phoenix, playing a university called Grand Canyon. Okay. Really. Very for-profit university. Grand <laughs> Canyon's trying to set their attendance record tonight, preying upon all the Mormons in the valley there around Phoenix. Jeez. And one of them, my mother, will <gasps> be there. Is she going to be there? Mm-hmm. See. Maybe she'll take my Ute stepdad. Oh wow, <laughs> that would be weird. Do you call him, hi, Ute stepdad? Hey, Ute. <laughs> hey, you Ute Bruce. stepdad. Hey, Ute. <laughs> hey, my stepdad's a Ute fan, too. So what do we, look, we, we share so much, you and I. Sometimes step-parents are, it's, that's the negative term. But in that sentence, it was the Ute that was the negative term. Who says it's negative? No, it's not always negative, right? Yeah. But it, it's Ute. I mean, anyway. Hello, Ute. <laughs> my name's Bruce. Ute make me sick. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, gentlemen, have a great show. I know you will. You're highly trained professionals. They're the best. And four and a half minutes away, folks, you can go just soak it up. Take it all in and uh, and, and kick back with, with the, the talent of Jason and Jerem. Also, um, Spencer, apparently they didn't even mention his name. So either he's in trouble or he's in L.A. and they're mad about it. He's dead to them. Yeah. They've forgotten it. He's in L.A. somewhere. Probably balling it up, ball night long, ball morning, ball Bollywood. afternoon. Bollywood. I think that's a different place. Hey, as you know, we always like to end with a hero story. And our hero, uh, sadly, came out of that tragedy um, from the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas mass shooting in South Florida. Um, that's the, the school that was attacked where 17 people died. And our hero is um, the the high school football coach there, Willis May, was informed that um, the family of his assistant coach, Aaron Feiss, Feiss was, infor- was informed in the early hours of Thursday morning that the longtime football coach had died. Uh, reports of his heroism emerged on Wednesday evening after students recounted the security guard's willingness to step in in front of students to protect them. Around 3 a.m., uh, Thursday, the football program's Twitter account posted the following confirmation of Feiss's death. According to the Sun Centennial, the last words Willis heard from his assistant, whom he called the big old teddy bear, uh, were these words. Feiss, in his capacity as a school security guard, responded to the original call on the school's radio walkie-talkies. Someone asked on the radio uh, if the loud sounds heard were firecrackers, according to May. I heard Aaron say, no, that is not firecrackers, and that is the last thing they heard from him. He then, as a as a coach but also a security guard there, stepped in the way of the bullets and uh, to save kids' lives and ended up dying himself because of it. So he is our hero of the day. Unbelievable heroism there. Uh, Aaron Feiss, hero of the, of the Matt Townsend Show. Again, our prayers go out, our wishes go out, and most importantly, Let's make something happen, folks. Let's act on this. Let's create change. 
uh, talk to the people we need to talk to, and let's start thinking about this stuff differently. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation is up next.